Yeah, uh, Madam Mayor, whenever you're ready. I'm ready. Go ahead. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Goleta City Council meeting of February the 20th, 2024, closed session. If we could um, do a roll call, City Council. Councilmember Kiriako. Here. Councilmember Richards. Here. Councilmember Kasdan. Here. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes Martin. Here. And Mayor Perotti. Here. Okay, this is an opportunity at this point for the public to address anything that's on closed session this evening. And we have no speakers for closed session. Okay. Ms. Garibaldi, would you like to report mm -hmm. anything closed session, please? Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, having no closed session speakers, the City Council can now convene in closed session pursuant to the one item listed on the agenda for existing litigation, um, as the case name is set forth on the agenda. Okay, then we will recess to closed session. Ball in the jack. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Goleta City Council meeting of February the 20th, 2024. If you'll um, all rise and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. And ready, begin. Thank you. Okay, if we can have um, roll call, City Council. Councilmember Kiriako. Here. Councilmember Richards. Here. Councilmember Kasdan. Here. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes Martin. Here. And Mayor Perotti. Here. Okay, at this time we will have a report from closed session. Ms. Garibaldi. Thank you, Madam Mayor. The City Council convened in closed session pursuant to the one item listed on the closed session agenda for existing litigation. There were no closed session speakers. The Council convened at 4.01 p.m. and recessed at 5.10 p.m. and no reportable action was taken. Thank you. Okay, at this time we'll have public forum. Anybody that wishes to speak to anything that's not on our agenda this evening. Yes, and if anyone on the Zoom webinar wishes to speak to a non-agenda item, please use your hand, hand icon and I will call on you. We do have three speaker slips for in-person speakers. Okay. Our first speaker is Morgan Redke. Thank you, Council. Thank you, Mayor. Um, let me start off by, I'm a business owner, been in Goleta forever. Um, been in my place of business, 75 Robin Hill Road, for a good 30 years. Um, we've been getting hit hard with crime breaking in to our place. We have video cameras, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, I, I'm struggling. I've lost over 
within the last year or two, probably $35,000. Now everybody goes, I reported to the police. Police say, oh, you got video cameras? We show them things, it's not there. Um, it's one of those things. Um, I just wanna know what we can do as business owners. I'm here with my good friend that owns Mike Coakley, that owns Anderson Systems. I'm just a small guy. And everybody goes, well, just throw it to insurance. You know what insurance does? Once I make a claim, I get booted, okay? I need to know, and I would help. I, I, once again, thank you, Miss Mayor, for taking my phone calls on a Saturday. <laughs> That's really cool for calling me back. Let's just get that straight. Of what can we do to help you guys to help that whole deal? I don't want to be that vigilante of catching somebody and hurting somebody. Let's just put it that way. Um, what are we doing? I need help. We need help. Of where's our police? What are we doing? Can we get? We know when we've been hit between, <clears throat> let's say, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. We've asked for um, people to come over, police rolls through that whole deal. What can we do to help you guys other than video cameras? I mean, locks are cut off. Things are locked up. I don't know what else we can do. Um, once again, uh, never had a timer on me. Um, anyways, <laughs> first time here. But I appreciate it. And once again, thank you so much for calling me back. One, answering my phone call or my email, and then calling, answering my phone call on a Saturday. That's awesome. And asking me to come speak. I don't know what else to say. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to my good buddy, Mike Coakley, that runs Anderson Systems. Once again, I'm just a small guy. I'm a Galita guy. It's on my trucks. It's on my shirt. It's killing me. I'm throwing... All my kids went to Loptera. Bishop, that whole deal. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for coming in this evening. Sorry for your loss. We can't answer you this evening because it's not on the agenda, but um, we'll be talking about it. The next speaker is uh, Michael Coakley. Well, thank you, Council. I appreciate uh, being able to present our case here this evening. Um, I am the responsible party at Anderson Systems. I'm the president. Uh, we are a longstanding Galita business. We've been here probably 35, 40 years. Um, we probably have about 100 employees that work for us, and we work all over the Galita Valley for most of the semiconductor industry and the biopharmaceutical industries, and many of the schools and uh, other um, companies up and down the coast. And at the end of uh, Robin Hill Road, um, we have a, an office out there. And for the last uh, couple of years that we've been out there, it seems like we periodically seem to be targeted by crime groups in the area. And they'll come through, and we can see they kind of scope everything out, like the middle of the evening. And then they'll come back a couple of weeks later, and they'll take trailers, we've lost welding trailers, uh, expensive pieces of uh, plumbing equipment, and we 
lock it all up, as Morgan says, and we think we've got it. You know, why would anybody take the time to do this? But they actually show up well prepared, uh, go through the stuff quickly, take what they want, and then they're gone. And we're just curious if there's anything we can do or maybe be apprised of uh, gangs that are working in the area, things that we can do to hopefully ameliorate some of those uh, effects on us. So again, it's just, just a voice to come to you, let you know local businesses are struggling with crime. Uh, so anything we can do or should be doing uh, with regards to public safety, uh, we'd like to know about it and then also um, put our hat in the ring to help any way we can because it's all it's affecting all the small businesses around here. All right. Thank you Thank for you coming for in this evening. Thank you. Our next speaker is Ethan Woodall. Uh, I'm here number one to speak on the movement of Measure A funds from the footbridge overpass project in District 3 uh, and reallocated to Project Connect. When Measure A funds are voted on by our citizens and are moved from one district to serve another project, it concerns me, especially when Measure A comes up, 2.0 comes up to a vote, the city will have no credibility. We have also, we are a donor city. We give more than we get out when it comes to Measure A. Measure A funds were promised to the voters to reduce traffic, which we know Hollister and Stork is a very big problem with traffic. SB CAG's vote, including our mayor, while District 3 and 4 sit without representation, directly really concerns me as well. The city manager advocating for the movement of funds without consideration of a pedestrian and bicycle bridge again concerns me. Have any of you walked or rode a bicycle over the Stork Glen Annie overpass recently? It's not safe. I wouldn't do it that often. I wouldn't as well ride my bicycle down Hollister, yet we're working on bicycle paths. I would choose other routes, and it's just not feasible. Secondly, moving into those Measure A funds, while well, we have issues with the crib wall, which I understand Public Works, and in speaking with Public Works, they are on and appraised to the situation. I have to applaud them, but it has been a project that has sat for eight years as well. I'd like to give an update on some other issues with Cathedral Oaks. I'd like to thank Mr. Kiriako and Mr. Nesbitt for reaching out to me. Um, we got a little bit done, was getting some cars, clearing some ways as far as gutters, taking some of those derelict cars, but more needs to be done. Derelict cars are a problem. Cars parked on Northgate on the east side that are dumping all of their dripping fluids into our waterways that go into a flooded area right above a school is concerned to me. We need to do better. We need to enact some parking laws that get these nuisance vehicles off the road. We need to limit the amount of vehicles. Drive down Winchester Canyon Road. You're going to look at an area where we'll overflow from the trailer park and the overflow from Winchester Commons heavily hurts that area. And now it's even more exacerbated by the closing of Cathedral Oaks. I thank you very much for your time and your consideration on these matters. Thank you. Our next speaker is Richard Foster. I thought he was going to say our problem was derelicts, not derelict cars. But um, Madam Mayor, uh, members of the 
City Council. You know, I'm not sure how our staff comes up with numbers for things. I mean, maybe they throw a dartboard with rings of $10 million increments. Uh, in August 2020, the Glida Overcrossing Project was put at $38 million. In June 2021, the budget put it in at $49 million. In the 23-25 CIP report, it was estimated at $78.3 million. And in a letter that Mr. Ebeling sent over to SB CAG to grab the money, he said it was $100 million. And then last week, our city manager, Mr. Nesbitt, came up with a rather astounding figure of $275 million. I mean, I know you want to strip this project from Goleta, Western Goleta, but perhaps you could do it ethically. Just for saying that, his nose should have grown eight inches. It was actually irritating to hear him lie through his teeth. No one on the board, including our Mayor Perotti, even questioned this claim as she voted to strip the funding from Western Goleta. And she says this is still a priority for our community. I don't think that $275 million is attainable. He also claimed that eminent domain would be needed because the commercial buildings on the south side of the property would be affected. This is a flat-out lie. The landing for the proposed bridge has always been Alistair Wynn's property there on Elwood Station Road. It's a quarter-mile-long slab of paved concrete. In fact, back when we were looking at zoning things before he rezoned the property, Mr. Ebling was asked how that would impact the possibility of a bridge by one of the commissioners, to which he said it depends where you put the bridge which is like, sort of like saying, when are you going to fix our roads? Well, it all depends on when you start. There's never been a discussion of 14 houses having to be taken down to finish the bridge. Mr. Nesbitt claims you can't actually have the bridge stop right at Caillou Real. Perhaps he's never gone off the freeway at Hope Avenue. Perhaps he's never even crossed the Glen Annie Stork Bridge, which stops right at Caillou Real. It is possible. I mean, if you want to take the money, do it, but just don't make up lies. Don't put pictures of propane tanks and claim that somehow this is a problem on it. They also stressed that SB CAG money was for a full multimodal bridge when they subscribed for it. And yet, in your own 2021 budget report discussing the conceptual design phase, it says, quote, the team is currently reevaluating the feasibility and location for a bicycle and a pedestrian only bridge. It's your own words. And yet, we never heard anything more about that. As far as safety goes, the reality is if you look at the report you're going to get later on tonight, there's more bicycle problems out of Storming Stort Road, out in Goleta, than there is in Old Town Goleta. That um, if you want to mitigate safety, you should be addressing safe crossing over 101. Stork Road is lousy for bicycles, even worse with all the e-bikes coming up. You should do something else. And lastly, I would just say that at the SBCAG meeting, Mr. Carioco of Second District was present, representing people. And of course, actually Third District didn't have anybody there to speak for us except you're fond of telling us that the mayor lives there, um, but she voted to take the money away from our neighborhood. I think we need better priorities in the future. Thank you. Thank you. And a last call for Zoom speakers who wish to speak to a non-agenda item, please use your raised hand icon. Our next speaker is Jason Chapman. Hello, Madam Mayor and City Council. Uh, I also wanted to speak uh, about the uh, 101 overcrossing. Um, so, yeah, my understanding is that that is a specific project that was submitted under Measure A as a vehicle overcrossing. Um, and that uh, there is talk about looking at that as a bike and pedestrian only undercrossing. My understanding is that would make a huge difference in cost uh, between those. You know, it's going to have a much smaller footprint. Um, and just, you know, less uh, stringent requirements. Um, 
I hope that the uh, request to take that funding away from the uh, overcrossing project leaves something for uh, us to pursue the bike and pedestrian overcrossing and its budget to study that, to find out what the cost of that would be and to pursue funding for that. Um, there's a lot of funding. There's the Reconnecting Communities Grant and other uh, grants from the federal government. Um, and I think that is a really critical connection that could provide a safe and comfortable alternative uh, for people in the neighborhood to, to get to the commercial center. Um, and ideally, it could actually serve to reduce traffic and to take car trips away from um, Stork at Hollister by giving people alternatives. So I just encourage the, uh, this council to, to aggressively pursue that. I understand uh, it's in a difficult place uh, funding Project Connect, and there's no easy options for that. Um, but I just hope you, you keep on this overcrossing as a bike and pedestrian option. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> and our first Zoom speaker is Joanna Coffin. Please unmute yourself when you're allowed three minutes. Hello, uh, Mayor and Council. Um, I'm just calling uh, to be in support of making the crossing uh, pedestrian and bicycle crossing. I know there's long been plans to complete this and there, um, as we'll see later on in this meeting, um, when uh, your public works director will speak about Vision Zero, I think there is good evidence to support the need for that. Um, I think there would be great benefits that are derived from that, not just with traffic safety, but there'd be co-benefits to everyone in the community, including the people who drive um, by minimizing the um, amount of traffic on the road. Um, you know, I think that prevailing uh, planning um, practice is to minimize the addition of additional uh, over crosses for cars. Um, those are often the pinch points in Goleta going from North Goleta to South Goleta. And so it'd be nice to have another option to cross that would uh, alleviate hopefully the need for people that are walking and biking to take the um, uh, Stork and Hollister route. Um, because right now it's, if you've, I, I really urge everyone to, you know, ride a bicycle or walk across it yourself to see what that experience is like. Um, so just, yeah, calling in general support of keeping a bicycle and pedestrian bridge only. Thank you. Our next Thank speaker you. is Sullivan Israel. Please unmute yourself and you'll have three minutes. Hi, uh, thanks for hearing my comment today. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Sully Israel. I uh, started a group called Strongtown Santa Barbara, which you may or not, may not have heard of. Uh, we advocate for various urban planning issues like bike infrastructure and more housing. Um, we have many members who live in Goleta, and I'm just here today to uh, echo what some of the other commenters have said, that we are in support of a bike and pedestrian bridge uh, in West Goleta, looking at the distance between um, Stork and the next crossing further west is, I'm sure you know this already, but it's, it's two miles. And so if you're trying to walk or bike across the freeway, it presents a great barrier. And that distance can make all the difference between whether or not you'll choose to walk or bike or drive or not go at all. And so obviously a project like that could connect the neighborhood north of the freeway 
to access to Elwood Mesa and the beach and also connect people south of the freeway who are trying to get to Dos Pueblos High School. And so it just because it's um, the money might not be there to have a car bridge with bikes and pedestrians, I hope that maybe there could be something set aside or some sort of grant application for bike and pedestrian, which would surely be cheaper as it would require far fewer materials and uh, less construction. Um, so just wanted to put that out there. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, that concludes the public forum speakers. Thank you. Okay, uh, now we'll go to um, amendments or adjustments to our agenda. There are none, Madam Mayor. Okay, do you have a report for us this evening? I do. Okay. Thank you, Madam Mayor, members of council. Uh, you can see there's um, many uh, uh, important cultural observances listed on the agenda. I'm going to highlight two. Um, uh, the, so the two I'll hire, uh, highlight is Women's History Month and <coughs> Development and Disabilities Awareness Month. <coughs> so Women's History Month, Congress designated the month of March as Women's History Month in 1987. The National Women's History Month theme for 2024 celebrates women who advocate for equity, diversity, and inclusion. The theme recognizes women throughout the country who understand that for a positive future, we need to eliminate bias and discrimination entirely from our lives and institutions. And then develop, it, month of March is also Development Disabilities Awareness Month. Each individual, regardless of their abilities, has the right to be respected, embraced, and provided with opportunities to thrive. Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month serves as a profound reminder of these principles, emphasizing the values, rights, and aspirations of those with developmental disabilities. Thank you. Thank you for that. And then I have uh, one other update I would like to do at this time, um, and that uh, two weeks uh, two weeks ago, uh, we did a short update on the the storm, and since then we've had another storm, and we're, we don't have a full uh, update this time with with photos like we did last time. But I would like to do a brief update on the closure of Cathedral Oaks and the crib wall, uh, and I think it did come up during public comment. Um, so this, this action, which was taken in the first round of storms, uh, was precautionary. Um, out of an abundance of caution during the peak rains, uh, our city engineer, through consultation with other engineers and myself, uh, determined that as a precautionary measure, we should um, close the road. And the reason they did that was because they thought it was possible that um, uh, portions of the road might be be undermined by the amount of rain we were getting. They have, we have previous evidence, and the reason that it, the closure goes back the years it does is that there has been, there was undermining of the, the bike trail, which is closed right there, of course, and that has continued for a variety of reasons. And we've learned more about this as we've started the design for the solution. Uh, so in their determination, uh, it was better to be cautious. Um, sinkholes can develop very quickly uh, one moment there is not a sinkhole in a road, and the next moment there is. Uh, that's an uh, experience that I've um, witnessed um, in other places. And so we made the decision to do that just to be precautionary. Um, what they wanted to then do was go in and have the chance to inspect to see if their concerns were validated or not. And they, they've had some opportunity to do that, but not a complete opportunity. So they did do inspection last Thursday and Friday, but then we had this second round of storms come in, and they had to hold off. So we've kept the closure um, through that time, and um, Charlie has said they're going to get back out um, next week. They have to wait a few days, and they want it to get a little drier out there 
and they'll do another round of subsurface uh, inspections. They'll get underneath, and they're also uh, using uh, radar, I believe, it, nodding his head, yes. Um, once they do that, then he can make a determination whether it can be open. So best case scenario, uh, a week from Friday, if uh, it looks good, maybe by then. Um, but if they see more evidence of undermining, then we'll have to decide what to do at that point. Thank you. Okay, moving on to consent calendar. Next, and that is item A1, approval of the City Council meeting minutes of July 18, 2023, and the City Council meeting minutes of February 6, 2024. Item A2, grant deed for a public easement along the frontage of 22 South Fairview Avenue, Coxcom LLC. Item A3, authorization to secure state funding for the Stowe Grove Park Universal Playground. Item A4, senior programs at the Goleta Community Center. And item A5, agreement with the Santa Barbara South Coast Chamber of Commerce for Old Town Activation Events. Thank you. Council wish to pull any item from consent. Do we have any speakers that would like to speak to any item? Any member of the public wishes to speak to a consent item, please use the raised hand icon and I will call on you. I'm seeing none, Mayor. Okay, thank you. Okay, then I'm looking for a motion to approve. I move approval. I'll second. Okay. Roll call vote, please. Council members, please lock in your votes. Council member Kiriako? Aye. Council member Richards? Yes. Council member Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore, Reyes Martin? Aye. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. Ayes have it. it is all right we now have a presentation and just to know uh, councilman richards didn't lock his vote but he was a he was an <laughs> not <laughs> that make changes to item b1 a proclamation of the city council of the city of galita california celebrating the 50th anniversary of the dos pueblos little league thank you and uh, mayor pro tem luz reyes martin will be making this presentation I'm so happy to get to read this proclamation and thank you Evi Limonagai for being here with your family and some other DPLL players. Um, so this reads a proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Dos Pueblos Little League. Whereas the Dos Pueblos Little League serves the City of Goleta and surrounding areas by providing recreational baseball for youth athletes from the ages of four to 14 and offers the DPLL Challenger Division for youth athletes with mental and physical disabilities. And whereas Dos Pueblos Little League is a 100% volunteer run 501c3 organization funded by player registration dues, annual sponsors and generous donations from individuals, businesses and foundations. And whereas the Dos Pueblos Little League Board of Directors consists of over 20 volunteer board members who provide season planning, leadership, and implementation of Little League International Program guidelines. And whereas Dos Pueblos Little League baseball season, practices, and clinics run from February through May each year, 
with All-Star Games running through the end of summer, and whereas Dos Pueblos Little League will kick off its 50th anniversary season on opening day, March 2nd, 2024, with team announcements and season opening games. And whereas after opening day games, Dos Pueblos Little League will host its 50th anniversary alumni night and fundraiser event at UCSB's Corwin Pavilion, where over 300 community members will celebrate the 50 years of success of this volunteer-run organization. Now, therefore, be it resolved that on this 20th day of February 2024, the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, does hereby celebrate and recognize the 50th anniversary of the Dos Pueblos Little League and invites all community members to join in the celebration. Would you like to stand Do you want to do the photo first? One with yeah. I'll make this brief, but again, my name is Evelyn Monai. I am the Dos Pueblos Little Coaching um, Coordinator, so I'm one of the board members. Thank you, uh, Mayor and Council members in the city of Goleta. This is a big, big event for us. It's our 50th year, and um, this couldn't come at a perfect time. Um, we definitely have a lot that goes in, and we really take pride in what we do from helping those, involving all the children regardless of their skill levels, and we include them through our challenger programs. As you can see, we also are a very inclusive league. We have my daughter, Marina, here, also an all-star player, but also um, Mayor who's Martin's daughter there, so we encourage everyone. And you may have played a little league, you may have known someone or so forth, so we are really excited to be able to be recognized for this, and I can't wait what the next 50 years are gonna be like. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, and then I do wanna invite you guys to come and join one of our games on a Saturday, maybe during the week, might be a little tough, but you know, come and join us and come and cheer for our boys and 
Also, you know, my kids are also representing not only the Galita, but Dos Pueblos Little League all the time. And as an all-star player, they really incorporate our values, you know, what it is to have sportsmanship, honesty, value, not only as a player, but the importance of holding those characteristics outside of the field. And when we go play at other cities or at the state level or just even sectionals, we're really proud to say that we represent Galita. Okay, and thank you very much for tonight. This isn't a great uh, recognition for us on behalf of Dos Pueblos Little League. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow, that was great. Okay. And we do have a speaker for this oh, item. Please. Uh, Mike Isa, if anyone on Zoom webinar wishes to speak to this item, please use the raised hand icon and I will call on you. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll make it brief because it's hard to follow up that. Um, but my sons have been in DPLL, uh, and, and it's a little bittersweet. My son, is this will be his last year in DPLL. Um, and so I just want to come up here and just say how important this organization has been to us and our family. Um, we, we've been in that organization for 12 years now. And to be honest, we really didn't feel connected to the community until we joined that. And I, I'm not a baseball guy. I never was a baseball guy in high school. Uh, but it, it really didn't matter, right? These guys bring you in, and they, you know, this all-volunteer organization really steps up and makes you feel welcome. And then you see these guys out and about, and you really feel like you're a part of community. And I think that's something special that DPLL offers. And... You know, the other thing I'll say about, about what it does for the young people is it really builds, you know, baseball is, is you know, as, as I've learned, is, is more failure than success, and that's kind of how life is. And I think that kids today have a hard time build, building resilience because there's so many things that's given to them. But when they play baseball, it really builds resilience because they just, you know, if you're batting three out of ten times, you know, you're an all-star. And so um, that's one thing that I think DPL offers the community, not just on the field, but also off the field. So I'm uh, really thankful for DPLL. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we have any other speakers? Uh, there are no more speakers for item B1. Next item? I will take us to item C1, and that is... Progress Report on Bicycle and Pedestrian Master Plan and Galita Traffic Safety Study and Adoption of Resolution in Support of Vision Zero Efforts to Eliminate Fatal and Severe Transportation-Related Collisions. Mm -hmm. and, and Madam Mayor, yeah. um, be, uh, our staff will do an introduction to the item, but before they do that, um, as they're pulling up their report, I see it's already up, I just want to give a little context um, to the process and how what's before you tonight fits into a larger process in a couple of ways uh, of what's coming before the council in the a future. So I want to make a couple points. Um, first, tonight's item is the, uh, an update on the bike and, and ped master plan. I actually have a, an old-fashioned hard copy. It was approved just over, <laughs> just over five years ago, so it's a good time, I think, to do this. And, um, and then last meeting, we had an update on the creek and watershed uh, master plan, and it was a good time to do that. And you might recall that uh, requests were made by council to do the, have those updates um, last year, I think October, November, possibly. So it did take a few months, 
uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, we had other items that started stacking up that needed Council's attention and we had to get to, and so both these items um, were delayed a couple times, but we got the watershed uh, one last time and that was well received, and now we have uh, this meeting in, in front of you tonight. So the, I want to make two points. The first is we've done some talking kind of internally, maybe how to manage this a little bit better. So we probably have, the Council has adopted maybe 10 or 12 more of these types of master plans, and I'm putting the general plan aside as a separate document. Um, but there's strategic plans, there's the homeless plan, you know, there's, there's a list of 10 or 12. And so our thought was that maybe we um, institutionalized um, these updates and try to do them as part of our kind of annual process each year when, we, when the council looks at the strategic plan, the department work plans, and then leading into the budget. And we can do them all at the same time. And I know that might seem overwhelming, but to the, to the contrary, we, figure, we feel that it might actually make it a little more efficient. Um, these, these ones were big ones, you know, the bike and ped, five years, creek and watershed. Uh, there was a lot going on there. But our feeling is if it's done every year in the, in the process of leading up to the budget and the work plans, that uh, that might be a, a better touch point for the council to see all 12 of them and they know it's going to come back each year to see progress. So that's one thing we're thinking of based on our experience with these two, putting these two presentations together for you. Uh, the second point I want to make uh, has to do more specifically with the item before you tonight. Um, so in two weeks, um, the, the March 5th council meeting, we are expecting to have at this point a presentation on your capital improvement plan. This is a, a, a first step in the mid-cycle budget for fiscal year 24-25. And just as a, as a reminder, last year the CIP workshop was in May. It was May 23rd. And out of that, uh, I think both internally and maybe feedback I got from the council was that was a little late in the process because it's dr capital drives the operating budget and, and vice versa. And so um, there certainly was request to get a, you know, after Project Connect was awarded to see the big picture of our capital plan. So we have moved that up and that's in two weeks. And the reason I bring that up um, related to tonight's presentation is uh, I believe that out of this discussion tonight, there may be ideas for new projects um, that are bike or ped related. And we already heard some members of the public speak to a bike and ped overpass as an example as something different than what was previously in our CIP, which was a vehicle overpass. So that's one example, but there might be more. So I just want to make sure after staff's presentation that there is room for that. If the council wants to bring up new ideas, new projects, we're all taking notes. Staff's taking notes. Charlie's taking notes. We'll be jotting those new projects down, and we'll bring those back uh, for the CIP item because the idea of that item is to see all your projects including any new ideas you have, and then in that context, we can move forward with the CIP for next year. So as an example, on December 19th, Council Member Kasdan brought up an idea of a new project that I would argue is bike and ped related, and it was, I, I call it safety improvements on Hollister Avenue um, between Stork and, say, um, uh, Entrance Road, for example. And so that's an example of, uh, if that comes up tonight, great and we're writing that down as a potential new project, and then you'll see that on a list for you to consider in two weeks. So I just wanted to make sure that was clear. I've heard from some of, some of the rest of you also with some new ideas. We've heard from the public some new ideas. It's not our intention to amend the bike and ma uh, ped master plan, but it would be 
our intention if you know it's the council's prerogative to decide what projects we should focus on in the capital improvement plan so with that long context <laughs> i'll turn it over to nina and uh, to kick us off thank you for that good evening madam mayor and council members my name is nina buona and i'm your assistant public works director mr rapp our contract traffic engineer will be presenting tonight, and Mr. Ebling is in the audience to field any questions. Public Works will be presenting on the progress report for the Bicycle Pedestrian Master Plan, the Goleta Traffic Safety Study, and a resolution in support of Vision Zero. Tonight's agenda, we will go over the Bicycle Pedestrian Master Plan, the Goleta Safety traffic safety study. Staff will go over what the plan and study entail and what has been accomplished. Staff will go over the city's Vision Zero strategy and the next steps for the items previously mentioned. The background of the past traffic efforts are the 2018 Bicycle Pedestrian Master Plan and the 2022 Goleta Traffic Safety Study. These documents are the foundation for implementing citywide traffic safety improvements and are the launching pad for Vision Zero. I will now turn it over to Mr. Rapp. Thank you, Ms. Buolna. Again, uh, my name is Derek Rapp. I'm the contract traffic engineer for the city of Goleta. And you know, this presentation is, a, is an update. Um, uh, and fortunately, um, uh, an update with uh, a fair amount of good news for the city of Goleta, um, and uh, there, while there is um, some progress to be to be noted, obviously more work is to be done. Um, but there has been significant improvements um, uh, to the bike and pedestrian um, in, uh, infrastructure in the city of Goleta, and that has seen some benefits as far as safety goes uh, in reducing. Um, severe co severe collisions and deaths. Uh, first, with the bicycle and pedestrian master plan, um, as Mr. Nisbet mentioned, this was completed a little over five years ago. Uh, it's a document that uh, supports the an active transportation system in the city of Goleta. Um, it recommends improvements uh, based on uh, public outreach process that engaged uh, the community. Um, it also established performance targets uh, to check in to see how, um, so the city would know how well um, they were performing. And it's also a document that opens the door to many uh, grant funding opportunities. Here's a summary of the uh, bike and pedestrian master plan performance measures. Uh, first, and you can see um, on this, on this uh, slide, Many of our uh, targets are we are either on on track or um, have met the uh, the targets for the performance measures. First uh, would be complete the current list that was as of 2018, the current list of capital improvement projects by 2035. In reviewing uh, the the number of projects that was on that list at the time, um, at this point in at this stage of the process, we are on pace. To meet that goal, increase walking and bicycling mode share to 15% by 2025. The most current data from from SB CAG shows that uh, at 
at current current stage 2023 we have already met that target uh, exceeding 15 percent reducing driving alone commuting by 10 percent to 60 percent by 2030 again uh, most current data available from SB CAG shows that that at this point we're we're meeting that target at 57.8 percent uh, reaching an overall score of three in the places for bike city rankings by 2025 this uh, um, this one is a little more difficult to track because this organization places for bikes uh, has since changed their rating schedule um, it used to be a zero uh, zero to five um, ranking and now it's zero to 100 and so it's a little difficult to draw apples to apples comparison however in looking at their website, City of Goleta, for the, for, the, for the cities that are in their database, is in the 70th percentile for their, um, in, of cities in the US, uh, which is, a, is, is actually a very good score. Uh, second to last is ensure a variety of infra infrastructure improvements are implemented by 2025. Since 2018, 13 separate projects that uh, involve bike and pedestrian improvements have been, have been accomplished. And uh, we, we believe that that meets the intent of that, that performance measure. And lastly, the percentage of school-aged children walking and biking to school um, increased to 15% by 2030. This one's a little more difficult to track. Uh, the, the data that's available is, uh, is, is, is difficult, to, it's difficult to quantify because it's such a highly specific um, data point. A lot of the other data that is, is collected is, is actually an aggregated over, based on cell phone usage. Uh, and when you start getting to this type of specificity, that type of data collection method is, is difficult to, to pinpoint. So more data is needed, um, and, and we will be following up on this, on this data point. Next is the Goleta Traffic Safety Study. Uh, this study was completed about two years ago. Um, this one was a, a very highly uh, targeted uh, study of high collision areas, uh, reviewed detailed collision data, identified both um, high-risk roadway characteristics and also high concentrations of, of, severe, and, uh, of severe collisions on, on street segments and intersections. You can see below um, some graphics showing uh, a graphical representation of the, the number of collisions that have been recorded in certain areas. This one is, uh, is in Kyrial, near the Kyrial um, marketplace or the Kyrial um, strip commercial area, and then uh, the, and then another uh, intersection, which I can't see. Oh, it's a uh, fair Fairview in in Kyrial. Based on their review of collisions uh, in this study, a number of street segments, including Cathedral Oaks, Patterson Avenue, Elwood Beach Drive, which is a is a residential uh, roadway in the south uh, southwest Goleta, uh, Kyrial near Encina Lane, <coughs> and Alondra, which is uh, in the 
old, old Town neighborhood were identified as street segments with high concentrations of, of collisions and um, improvements were identified for that. The intersections identified in this study were Hollister and Stork, Fairview and Kaya Real, Stork and Marketplace Drive, Cathedral Oaks and Glen Annie Road, Kaya Real and Encina, Cathedral Oaks and Fairview, Los Carneros and Kaya Corral, and Cathedral Oaks and Los Carneros Road. This is a, a depiction of all of those locations presented graphically, and as you can see, it's, it's a, a pretty wide distribution um, covering the entire city. So, so um, you know, issue areas and potential solutions were identified across the, across the entire city. This, this pie chart represents um, our progress since, since the initiation of the Bike and Pedestrian Master Plan. Both the Bike and Pedestrian Master Plan and Goleta Traffic Safety Study identified a list of projects um, that would include bike and pedestrian improvements. And those range all the way from striping and signing type of improvements all the way to major capital improvement projects. And as you can see, as this pie, pie chart shows, uh, about if you include all of the active CIPs currently in, in process, about half of these, um, of the bike and pedestrian projects identified in these two studies will have been completed at the completion of the current active CIP um, process. And about the other, the other half, approximately, need further study or preliminary engineering. So quite a bit, quite a bit of progress has taken place over the last five years. Second uh, chart or graph shows uh, the trend of in serious injury and uh, fatalities for bikes and pedestrians in the city of Goleta. Uh, the purple line is the total of bikes and pedestrians. And you can see the trend line, the, the dotted black line is uh, sloping downward, which is, which is positive, which is where, where we want things to be. Obviously, we'd like the slope of that line to be steeper, uh, and that's something that we will be focusing on um, very closely in the, in the coming years. And that brings us to Vision Zero. Um, Vision Zero is a way, uh, is an approach to engineering and education um, in traffic that originated in Sweden in the 90s. Uh, it has since been adopted by over 45 US cities. Uh, it involves a coordinated system of engineering, education, and enforcement. Um, all of those groups um, working together on a, in a coordinated way um, with a focus on reducing collisions, uh, reducing serious and fatal collisions. Uh, the philosophy is that while not all collisions can be avoided, we can certainly take steps to make sure that the serious collisions, um, that, that collisions remain to be only property damage only and not, and not injury collisions. And this is achieved through both speed reduction, because the higher the speeds on a roadway, um, the number of injuries and deaths go up considerably. 
And it also focuses on separating the most vulnerable population, which is bikes and pedestrians, from automobile traffic. And uh, for those reasons, uh, we have prepared a resolution for the, for the city council's consideration uh, that establishes the city's commitment to programs, policies, and initiatives that both prioritize safety and work towards eliminating severe, severe injuries and deaths in, in the city of Goleta. And would obviously um, direct staff to incorporate Vision Zero goals as a guiding principle in all the work that we do uh, in our design of, of infrastructure improvements within the public right-of-way. Now toward that end, um, we have a number of next steps um, that, that will help us achieve these goals in addition to the projects that have been listed in the, uh, the two plans that, that I presented previously. First is a neighborhood traffic calming policy because while many of the improvements identified previously are involved, uh, involve the arterials and collectors in, the, in, in, our, in our city, uh, neighborhoods also experience issues as well with, with adverse effects of traffic. And up until now, up until, up until shortly from now, the city has not really had in place a clear policy that sets forth um, sets forth the criteria um, and and what is what is permissible and um, uh, in in neighborhoods, and that is something that we plan to come come to you uh, with shortly. Secondly, is a reduction of speed limits. This is one of the major pillars of Vision the Vision Zero program is to reduce speeds because, as I mentioned previously, um, serious collisions go up proportionally actually um, in excess, uh, in more of a geometric progression of increase of, of serious collisions um, when speeds are increased. The neighborhood traffic calming policy, as I mentioned, would establish different complexity levels for different types of problems. So uh, a, the first stage may be looking at red curbing or um, you know, parking, parking prohibitions or site distance issues um, or perhaps some innovative striping, something, some low-level, low-cost uh, treatments and work their way up to more major uh, capital improvement projects. It would also help set some threshold criteria for what roads are eligible for certain types of treatment. Um, and then it would help to create an annual budget for city staff to work with specific neighborhoods. And this is something that we plan to bring to the council this summer. Uh, next, uh, more detail on the reduced speed limits. AB 43 and 1938 uh, were recent changes to the California Vehicle Code um, that allow cities more flexibility to create contact-sensitive, radar-enforceable speed limits. Um, it, it extends the validity period of existing uh, speed surveys from 10 years to 14 years. So the amount of time that uh, previously we would have to 
um, we would we would be mandated to do a, a new survey at least every 10 years. Now we can extend that speed limit for an additional four years. It also identifies the term business activity district, which allows for a prima facie speed limit uh, to be established at 20 or 25 miles per hour. Uh, I have looked at the definition of this district and I believe uh, perhaps only uh, Old Town Hollister would, would qualify as, as a business activity district, but um, more to come on that later. Um, it also allows, this, the new, uh, new changes allows for an additional five mile per hour reduction for um, what is defined as a safety corridor. And this would be um, streets that the city uh, has determined experiences the, the highest 20, the 20% with the highest concentration of collisions in the city. So in review, in doing a detailed review of all the uh, collision activity in the city of Goleta, we will be working toward identifying safety corridors um, as defined in the California Vehicle Code. And this will allow us to drop speed limits at additional five miles per hour beyond what they are currently. Another criteria that the law now allows for is um, reductions of additional five miles per hour beyond what was previously allowed for high concentrations of pedestrians and bikes. And that has very specific definition, um, which, which we can discuss. All in all, uh, what, what this means is um, you can now reduce speeds an additional five miles per hour based on these criteria, um, but, but not more than 12.5, 12.4 miles per hour in total. Uh, it used to be roughly 10 miles per hour. Now you can, you can drop it um, um, slightly more. And it gives, gives you much more flex flexibility um, on certain roadways that we didn't have before. These uh, speed limits laws uh, will go into effect June 30th of this year, and therefore we plan on returning with some recommended reduced speed limits uh, this May so that we can be uh, ready to have those uh, reduced enforceable speed limits ready when the law goes into effect. Um, in, in conclusion, I, I would just like to reiterate um, that in researching this, uh, researching for this report, uh, it was a pleasant surprise to see that the progress that had been made. Um, sometimes when you're in the trenches, you don't always see the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the positive impacts, but in, in reviewing the data, uh, showing that we are making gradual improvement and we look to improve upon that uh, going forward. And with that, I would take any questions. Thank you, and I just want to start off by thanking staff so much for this report. I'm glad that that we're able to bring it back and take a look at it. I was here in 2018, and um, and when I started in 2010, it was one of the first things I, that was my thing is pedestrian safety and bicycle safety, and um, we finally got it done in 2018, the master plan, um, and that was a, a huge accomplishment. and And I remember hearing. Um, audience say, don't let this be a book that just sits on the shelf. 
And um, I'm glad that we're looking at it tonight, and I would encourage us to look at it from time to time, as Mr. Nisbet said. Uh, but it also does, I think you bring up a really good point, um, that it does show us what we have accomplished, and that's really important. I sat down last night, and I was writing things, that, and you brought up so much more, and so much more was here. So we have done a lot, and there's more to do. But it's not only just for pedestrian and bicyclists. It's for motorists, too. It's for their safety, too. So um, with that, I'm going to go to questions from council. Councilmember Kasdan. Thank you. Uh, first one I had was uh, you had mentioned that for the AB 43 slash 1938, one of the conditions was if there was a high concentration on a road of pedestrians and bikes. And as I remember, when we did the bike and pedestrian master plan, we didn't have data of that sort. We just relied on the public to come in and sort of subjectively give us pointers. How do we evaluate where, is there a process, is there a technology for evaluating high concentrations like that? Uh, Madam Mayor, Councilmember Kasdan, um, it's a great point uh, and actually, um, while I don't know for sure, I have a feeling that um, why, the, why the, the legal definition uh, with respect to the California Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices and the, and the uh, California Vehicle Code doesn't just use uh, the density of bikes and pedestrians or the number of bikes and pedestrians. They actually have a table, and I believe it's, it's attached to the report, um, regarding land uses that, that tend to attract um, bike and pedestrian activity, uh, and that qualifies uh, for defining a, a roadway that has a high concentration of, of bikes and pedestrians. So they set, they set forth um, sort of, envi not environmental, but surround, uh, uh, surrounding criteria of land use um, types of infrastructure um, and, and the like, so they use beyond they've used beyond just hard numbers of bikes and pedestrians in order to qualify for that criteria. So is but do we have a way aside from the habitat, so to speak? Is there a way of actually like cameras or something uh, things that are used to count how many bikes go by or pedestrians go by? Council member, there's, there's a number of technologies and we do actually have uh, data in some locations, uh, especially areas that we've studied more closely um, for bike and pedestrian improvements. So we do have some counts um, that we can use um, and there is additional technology um, such as uh, the, the technology that I alluded to that SBCAG uses, which is a cell phone um, cell phone like aggregation of data and they have um, they have um, um, systems that they use in order to be able to discern which ones are pedestrian which ones are bikes which ones are vehicles albeit not perfect they've done quite a bit of work at calibrating that those those systems and um, and for um, for broad macro level uh, type uses they can be effective uh, so let me ask you about that. The, um, when, we, when you evaluated progress, you were using the SBCAG data. Is that where the baseline came from also? 
in other words, was it evaluated with the same mechanism to, in 2018 when we did this? Madam Mayor, Councilmember Kasdan, um, I wasn't a part of that process, but I believe uh, because the city certainly wasn't connecting, wasn't collecting that type of baseline data. I believe that the source of that data was also SBCAG. Whether they used the same, whether SBCAG used the same data collection method at that time, uh, I'm I'm not certain. Okay. Because those were, you know, in some ways, the very big improvements that we're showing, and and I can't point to like here's a big project for bikes and so forth that we got done in that period. I think let's say uh, the uh, Hollister. Class one was done before then, maybe. But I guess my I would have a request, and that would be if we could get um, SBCAG to come and give us a presentation on that process, because it does, it, it would be very helpful, I think, to be able to know. See, one of the things that, it, in my mind, if we're trying to prioritize sites or, or routes, we know that people are more likely to take, uh, to ride bikes or walk if it's within a two miles, let's say, with their home and their business. If SBCAG can give us those routes and so forth that people are taking, obviously we know people Stork Ranch, they're going to UCSB and certain things like that, but there might be others where there's a lot of people going out to um, I, I don't know, Yardy or something. And um, so if we're able to use that data to be able to pri help prioritize certain routes to know that if we make this route a better route, people are likely to take advantage of it, that would be very helpful. So I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like it if we could do that at some point. Madam Mayor and Councilmember Kasdan, I can certainly talk to Mr. Becker from SBCAG and see if he is willing to come and make a presentation to the council on a future agenda on that recent study they did. I'll just make a real quick comment that they have a traffic solution uh, department at SBCAG where they um, monitor the businesses um, and give them incentives to ride their bike or carpool or walk, take the bus. So you can get some information through the businesses. I don't know if the schools keep, like, whether the kids, I, I don't, I think it's hit and miss with the schools, whether um, you can get that but information. But Yeah, these guys would have, so what you're describing are the people who are already using, like, say, biking to work. Right. But maybe there's people who are, uh, could be who haven't yet been doing that they're driving uh, but if let's say I mean one of the arguments we've often used that have often been raised with the question of bike lanes is that people might ride it if it were safer you know if, if uh, they thought I could ride on this la this route without risking my life but that's and that that's going to be true but not you know if they have a 10 mile ride it's going to be true if it has a two-mile ride. If we can find those routes, um, you know, that, that would be um, the greatest chance for us to offer, you know, expand the bike users and reduce congestion. So I have a, few, a little more. Okay. Not a lot. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. I, I guess I just wanted to, uh, with, the, with regards to Elwood Beach Drive, that I think uh, my experience, I lived there for a time, and um, a lot of it is the line of sight. I'll bet you is, a dr is driving a lot of the, um, a lot of the accidents because there are cars parked every square inch there. And so one thing I was wondering, to the extent you know, we I, we can't just add parking lots, but I don't know if we could, uh, if there are cars that are. This is not so much a public works question. But if there are cars that are being effectively stored on the street, and this goes back to, we had a previous conversation with um, our city attorney, uh, <coughs> which, um, <laughs> uh, where we talked about what is the definition of moving your vehicle? Is moving a vehicle going to be, is it adequate if it's a, you know, they're moving it six inches? Does that count? And if we are able to say it's got to be, you know, a block, or something like that. If we can define what is moving a vehicle, that might help in reducing the numbers of cars parked on the street and enable us more effectively to uh, enhance the line of sight. So those are my questions for now. Thank you. Councilman Richards. Thank you. Uh, well, I also want to um, reiterate your comments that you know it's great to have this back. And I was also here in 2000. 18 when this got passed and it's exciting to see the progress and hear um, hear what's been done and and have an opportunity to you know kind of check in about it and think about what what you know celebrate what's been done and also think about what more we can be doing um, along those lines I, I also had some of the same questions that uh, Councilmember Kasdan had regarding the SB CAG report and the data that they had and I, I thought that was a great uh, report and, and filled with a lot of really uh, valuable information about commuters and about tra patterns of commuting in and out of Goleta. And it was a regional study, but there was a lot of information that was really uh, particular to Goleta. Um, and, and along those lines, I was, uh, I was curious and I would have to say even skeptical of some of what was reported uh, with regard to vis-a-vis um, -vis our goals so you know in terms of we uh, our, uh, some of the goals that we had set out when we did uh, this plan in 2018 and we had set a goal of increasing the uh, uh, use of, um, of bicycle and pedestrians up to 15 percent was our goal um, it's being reported that it's almost 16 percent I think it was 15.9 percent I went back to the uh, plan that we passed in 2018 and at that point, the data that we had indicated that only 4% of people walked and 4% of people biked. So that was only 8% total. And now, I guess, I guess I'm struggling with this because it's kind of hard to believe that we've doubled the, the usage of, uh, of, of biking and, and, um, and walking in that period, like just based on what we've done and just kind of what we see happening out on the street. Um, you know, I, I guess it's believable that there's been an increase, but it's kind of hard to think that it was it's doubled. And so I guess, do you have any information about, you know, the, the difference in how that data was collected at the time versus this new report that came out and, and help us to try to reconcile that? Madam Mayor, Councilmember Richards, um, the short answer is no, but, but um, when, when 
putting together this this report, I had the same sort of reaction. Was you know, one, it was an impressive uh, increase um, percentage-wise. However, I did start thinking about it a little bit, and you know, while this is not in any way scientific, uh, one thing that was different from 2018 to now is COVID and the both the um, the rise in number of electric bikes mm -hmm. and as and the reduction in people commuting to work overall. So when you look on a percentage basis, um, it can it could be somewhat misleading as far as how many people are actually um, doing uh, you know using those modes because the overall pool has has shrunk quite a bit. So um, so that's that's about my only response I could give you at this point. Okay, well that that's helpful. Yeah, because the other uh, the other statistic in there was that seventy three percent of people drove alone uh, at the time of that study, according to the the information in there, and that's versus uh, less than fifty eight percent today. So that again is a significant drop, if true. And I guess my other question is, you know, do you have any reason to be skeptical of the data, or do you feel like what information? Um, about the, that we got from that report is accurate, or do you have any reason to think that that you know that the, that there's something wrong with that, uh, Madam Mayor, uh, Councilmember Richards? Um, the one thing I don't I, I don't really have a good handle on on the source of the data, the prior data. Um, I know I, I I understand the source and the methods that were used for the current data, but I don't know much about about the original data. So, um, and that's not casting casting dispersions on one set or the other. It's just it may be an ap uh, apples to oranges comparison depending on the methodology that was used and and uh, the advent of an event that no one could have foreseen um, that is reshaped <laughs> the, our travel patterns uh, perhaps permanently. <laughs> okay, well that, that makes sense and I, again, I appreciate that answer. And I, I guess it only makes me think like, well, maybe we should reconsider what our goals are if, we, if, we've, if we've already met some of those goals, which I think at the time seemed ambitious. And I specifically remember uh, that we had a lower goal at, at first for the, the um, mode shift for biking and, and pedestrian. Um, and, I, and we in, increased it to 15%, but I think it was originally like 10 or 12% uh, that we then changed. And so, and I, at that point, it felt like that was an ambitious uh, reach that we were, you know, looking at something that, that looked like it was a lot harder to get to, and, and here we surpassed it. So, I, like I said, I, I would maybe think about, okay, maybe we need to set our, our goals a little bit higher or think about that. Um, I had another question about, and I would also say that I, I appreciate the request to have that SBCAG report uh, um, uh, given to us because I would like to uh, drill down deeper and, and get more information about that and, and what data was, was in there. Like I said, I, from what I read about it, it was really informative. Um, I, I was curious about what types of, uh, with the traffic calming policy that is referred to in here, um, I saw some kind of pictures of maybe some treatments or things that, that might be considered as part of that policy. Would you be able to describe some of those to us or, or think about like what types of, of treatments would you anticipate coming out of, of that policy um, that we might be able to implement in, in some of our neighborhoods? Sure, um, Madam Mayor, Council Member Richards. Um, 
I, I did uh, mention sort of sort of a tiered a, a tiered level of response where we would start with a you know perhaps with uh, some of the more conventional uh, low low cost low impact types of improvements signing striping that that sort of thing uh, a second tier might be um, something more significant like a curb extension a traffic circle um, um, uh, if you've seen some of the treatments that have been done in the city of uh, of Santa Barbara spe speed humps obviously is 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 uh, one and then also um, planter islands both at the side of the road and in the middle of the road that would create visual narrowing of the roadways. And then some of the more extreme, um, which I'm not sure um, that would, we'd ever get to that point, but road closures, road diversions, um, when you start dealing with more network level types of improvements, um, that requires an extensive amount of public outreach and consensus um, that quite frankly, is um, is difficult to achieve. <laughs> um, and then, of course, also um, taking into account the needs of emergency responders and that sort of thing, so, um, and utilities and the, and the like. So uh, th that's sort of the uh, tiered level approach uh, of the types of improvements that would be considered. Okay, thank you. Um, I, my next question is, uh, with regard to our current paving project or, or the one that's coming up um, in, in the coming year. Uh, I know it was mentioned that we've had several improvements that are kind of already wrapped up into uh, 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 projects that have happened. And I know one, an example is the, uh, the new bike, separated bike lane on, um, on uh, Cathedral Oaks um, as an example of something that just kind of happened. I, 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 don't th I think it was kind of off of our radar when we approved that uh, pavement. Um, and I'm thinking in particular of the stretch from Glen Annie to uh, Los Carneros Road. And I was really happy to see that that, came, that, that resulted in that. Uh, can you tell us with the, the current plan and the, and the work that's being um, planned for uh, this year, uh, are there any similar types of treatments like that or any other uh, bicycle improvements that we should expect? Yes, uh, Councilmember Richards, with every paving project, we look um, very closely at opportunities to improve and enhance bicycle, uh, the bicycle facilities, both those that are listed in the Bike and Pedestrian Master Plan and, and Goleta Traffic Safety Studies, and those that aren't. Um, when it, it, it's the, it's the op most opportune time and it costs next to nothing to evaluate the street width that we have and the pavement that we're that we're going to maintain, and look for creative ways to add buffers, uh, you know, provide that additional separation, wider bike lanes, etc. Um, so we do that with every project, and we look and we actually work with the community, with the local bicycling community, and get their input as well. Um, there are a number of street segments in in the current uh, project, including uh, a segment on Cathedral Oaks. Um, the next segment west of uh, Glen Annie that is included, and uh, we're doing a very similar treatment, um, proposing a very similar treatment in that area. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, and then with uh, with regard to bike counts, and I know that that was a question that came up too. I, I I'm really eager and curious to get more information about you know how the you know 
evaluate and measure, you know, how many people are riding. Uh, do we have a plan at this point to, to do any more bike counting? And, and how is that done? Uh, can you describe the, you know, the, your process for how you would measure bike counts on a, e either on a bike path, a separated bike class one, or a class two bike lane uh, with traffic? Uh, Councilmember Richards, um, we uh, do not have a set counting program for just bicycles and pedestrians, but it is our policy whenever we do counts for vehicles, we also include bikes and pedestrian data collection. Uh, primarily, this is done through a third party um, subconsultant, typically done with uh, video cameras, and so they re essentially record. Um, all traffic movements uh, for the duration of the study period, and then they have someone count um, uh, that recorded video uh, and then report uh, a summary to us. And so anytime we do any kind of counts, uh, we always include bikes and pedestrians now as a, as a matter of policy. Um, I do know also that um, Santa Barbara Bike has also um, engaged in um, bike counting efforts uh, regionally, um, and um, we make use of that data anytime we, we can as well. Um, and we will be, uh, as we, as we uh, continue to develop this department of traffic operations and maintenance, we will be coming uh, in developing an overall count program, which will collect, uh, as I mentioned, all, all modes of traffic. Um, on a regular basis and a recurring basis. Mm -hmm. And so what you were describing with the, you know, capturing the bicycles and the pedestrians in, in the traffic counts, that wouldn't apply then to like the class one bike path on Hollister or, or a separated bike path that doesn't have any cars on it, right? Council Member Richards, it would if, um, for example, if we were collecting data on Hollister adjacent to that bike path, we would also ask that that data get collected as well. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, great. All right, thank you. Okay, Mayor Pro Tem Reyes-Martin. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things I think that I hear a lot about is safe routes to school. Um, but I wanted to ask, you know, could you uh, describe for us just what does that program or philosophy mean? Um, how do we as a city um, implement or look at safe routes to school? Is there funding available for that? That's the, the thing I always hear is there must be funding for Safe Routes to School. And just what are some of the projects that um, could be described as Safe Routes to School projects? Sure. Madam Mayor, Councilmember um, Reyes-Martin. Uh, Safe Routes to School is a, is a program that um, whereby we work, partner with schools and also um, other community organizations such as COAST or SB Bike. Uh, in evaluating um, routes to school. Um, you may have also heard it referred to as suggested routes to school um, because so we combine our engineering knowledge and knowledge of the community with the experience of the users of the roadway in developing recommended paths um, that are, um, that have the fewest conflicts with vehicles and then we work to establish improvements, whether they be traffic control devices, signage, um, striping, um, 
any cut or or even as as uh, as involved as a you know some sort of active beacon uh, system. Um, we lay the, we work uh, with them to identify locations where we would need to improve intersections and access um, as far as um, curb ramps and that sort of thing. So, sort of a holistic approach to the um, the routes to and from school uh, within that within the school's immediate area. Um, I know work has been done historically. It's been a long time, uh, and it's probably you know probably time to uh, dust some of those things off and refresh those efforts. Um, each one of those effort, each each school effort is is you know a significant lift in and of itself, um, and involves you know quite a bit of public outreach and involvement. Um, but that's essentially the program. There are um, safety grants available for, for that type of work, both the planning, education, and implementation. And um, yeah, there you go. Thank you, I really appreciate that. Um, and I think, you know, I really wanna encourage that as much as possible. Um, I think, you know, the Goleta School District does have, uh, for the most part, neighborhood schools, so you can really focus in on neighborhoods. But that's not the case everywhere. Um, so all the kids in Old Town, for example, um, have to go across the freeway to Kellogg or La Patera. Um, they do get bused, um, so you know that is a safe, um, you know, transportation to school. But then when I think about uh, you know Goleta Valley Junior High and Dos Pueblos High School, um, a lot of kids you know just have to make their way uh, to those schools. So I think, you know, any effort that we can really look at. Um, kids that are going having to go across the freeway um, I really want to encourage you know what more can we do I know we have done um, we have made improvements um, and to your earlier point we can always keep keep working on it and keep making improvements um, my other question is about two particular segments on Cathedral Oaks um, I really appreciated all of the detailed lists in the staff report um, so I may have missed these <laughs> Um, but one is Cathedral Oaks between Fairview and Kellogg. Um, it's a portion of that road that curves. Um, I very, very frequently hear from my neighbors and residents in my district about the high rate of speed of cars on that particular segment. There have been accidents and fatalities on that curve. Um, and so just, I really want to lift that one up as, you know, what can we do to, maybe it's reducing speed limits, but maybe there are other things we can do, because um, that's a particularly um, important um, segment. Um, I've, I've probably mentioned before that I can hear the cars speeding uh, from my home um, at night, um, which is always very nerve-wracking because um, you don't want to have to hear kind of the screech of, of cars or an accident. Um, and the other part is also Cathedral Oaks, um, just west of Brandon, you know, that, that segment there. Um, you know, I had a friend um, and work colleague, Adolfo Corral, and his wife, Mary Jane, who were killed um, on that stretch of Cathedral Oaks. Um, and to the point about Vision Zero, which we'll talk about tonight, we're never gonna be able to prevent every death, uh, but any death is, is too many. Um, and so that segment, I also want to lift up as one to try to, um, it's also a part that curves. 
um, where we can do anything to reduce speed or make it safer for pedestrians um, and, and folks on bicycles. So thank you for this excellent staff report. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Kariakos. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, Council Member, uh, excuse me, Mayor Pro Tem Reyes-Martin was kind of in my brain there with the comments about Old Town and safe routes to school. That's actually where I want to start. Um, you know, we, we, we sometimes tend to think about these issues in terms of our political districts, and so Dos Pueblos High School is in District 3 and Old Town is in District 2. Uh, but I got to tell you, if you're a kid trying to get from one place to another, you're not thinking about political districts. and I'm thinking about the report you gave us in 2022 where you evaluated the existing conditions on Hollister. And I want to bring this up because there's been a lot of um, comments lately about investments in Old Town and whether or not they're appropriate. Um, and setting aside the whole issue of district elections and why we actually have district elections in Goleta, uh, let me just say that there were, according to the report that was given to us in October of 2022, between South, between South Fairview and Hollister and Kinman and Hollister, there were 105 collisions for a 4.94 collisions average, which is four times the state average. There were 40 injury collisions, 1.61 injuries, um, which was um, a 1.61 injury rate, which was three times the state average. <coughs> and 9% of those injuries were bike ped related. 13 of them were um, at Hollister and Nectarine. Uh, eight of them were at Hollister and Orange. Uh, 22 of them were at Hollister and Fairview, and six of them were at Kinman. So I just want to kind of put that out there, because if you're a kid that lives by Nectarine School, let's say you're a freshman in high school, and you're trying to get to Dos Pueblos, you, you can't avoid Hollister. <laughs> You, you, you need Hollister, and then you need an overcrossing, preferably not going against traffic as quickly as possible. So I just wanted to kind of bring that up so that we, we don't lose sight of the fact that everyone needs a, a safe route to school, and, and some areas have been historically underinvested in, some areas have been historically and politically excluded for, for decades. So I just kind of wanted to start there. Um, let's move to Alondra. So the Alondra information that I'm looking at, the collision rate per million vehicle miles, the expected rate is 1.16 collisions per million vehicle miles. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I'm reading this, the actual is 18.64, 18 versus one being the expected. Okay, just wanna make sure that wasn't a misprint. Um, there have been five, five injuries that we know of, and I, I would strongly emphasize that we know of based on what we know about that, that neighborhood and how much things actually get reported to the police and, and to the hospital and everything. Um, I, I guess my question is, when I look at the recommendations that are being put in here in terms of a, a curve warning sign, extending the red curb by one space in a, in, in a particular location, and perhaps doing a lighting analysis, I'm just wondering, is that really enough? Because when I've talked to people in that neighborhood, and I've talked to them for the better part of two years about bicycle and pedestrian safety, uh, the most common thing I hear when they talk about Alondra is that they describe it like being kind of like a launching pad. Mm -hmm. 
that they launch from it and then they go down Nectarine or they launch from it and then they go down one of the other streets. And so I'm just wondering, you know, do we need to look at, at some solutions in that area that perhaps go a little bit beyond what we're currently contemplating? Uh, the Elwood Beach example uh, kind of stuck out for me that, you know, speed humps or something like that. Um, I'm not always a big fan of speed humps. They have potential to do damage. They can actually cause an accident if someone's, mis you know, not driving properly. But I'm wondering if we need to do something to slow down traffic on that road because you're, if you're coming, if you're coming from Nectarine and it's so narrow and it's, you know, there's only a sidewalk on one side of the street and usually cars are, are bunched up. A lot of times you got cars actually in the street with their emergency lights on for a good length of time, not just like you're waiting to pick someone up like an Uber or something, like someone leaves their car out there for 15, 20 minutes with their e-lights on. So when you finally go around them, a lot of times you see people kind of frustrated and it opens up and it's like, oh, I can go faster. So, you know, speed humps, I would encourage you to look at speed humps or, or something else that can actually reduce speeds there because the neighbors that I've talked to are really concerned about speeds on that street. Um, a moment here, Let's go back to the questions. Um, another suggestion I've gotten from neighbors is um, having a stop sign at the intersection of, um, at, the, at the end of Armidos where, it, it, um, where Armidos and Kimmen intersect. Uh, there's a couple of people that live right on that corner that just, they're scared for the kids every day because they see cars making that right off of Armidos onto Kimmin. And Kimmin's another example of a street that's a little bit more open, a little less narrow. Um, you know, have we considered any traffic uh, calming on, on, that, on that section? I know it's not in your report as one of the, the Goleta traffic study segments or intersections, but do you, do you have any kind of insights on what we could do there? Um. Madam Mayor, Councilmember Kiriakou. Uh, yeah, that intersection, uh, first of all, um, we do not have any, currently have any traffic calming plans in, in that location. Um, backing up to your Alondra comment, speed humps is, are definitely something to, to be considered for that location, uh, especially since, you know, it's a relatively, it's about a block long, it's residential in nature. If you're, you know, um, if you're getting into serious, a serious collision on that road, you're driving recklessly. So, um, so if you have a pattern of, of that type of uh, uh, collision happening, reducing speeds or putting some sort of impediment to, to reckless speeding on a residential street is, is a potential countermeasure. Um, now, so, so then going forward to this, um, this intersection, it's a, a T intersection, Armidos and uh, Kinman. Um, obviously, the vehicle code sets forth rules uh, for rights of way at an uncontrolled intersection. Um, if there's evidence that one, either those rights of way are not being followed or they're not clear to drivers um, for a variety of reasons, we can certainly look at considering uh, a stop sign on that, on the minor approach. Um, beyond that, um, any kind of traffic calming effort um, will have to be discussed in the context of the policy that we'll be bringing forward um, here shortly. 
And one of the challenges there is one in, in both um, screening out uh, roads that, that are most advantageous or, or get, get the most, um, most benefit for, for the efforts, as well as prioritizing locations citywide based on a set of criteria that we can all agree upon. So, um, so it's a little bit premature for me to respond to the traffic calming measures there, but um, we hope to have a framework in place here shortly to where we can start answering those questions. Thank you. I, one of the reasons why I asked uh, to begin with about these two areas is because sometimes it's really important that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing, right? So the left hand is looking at opportunities for pedestrian and bike safety improvements. Uh, the other hand is doing things like adding a community garden at Armidos Park, adding a splash pad at Johnny Wallace Park. That's gonna increase the number of, of younger people in particular, I would say, uh, for the splash pad that are gonna walk over to that area. So what are the routes that they're gonna use to get to the splash pad? Well, if you're on Nectarine, you're probably gonna take Alondra. Mm -hmm. You can't get to Armidos, but then you're gonna probably end up on Armidos later, right? So kind of tracing back how do you how would you get there and how would you get back I think it's really important that we're not uh, inadvertently creating an attractive nuisance if we're going to make these needed investments in Old Town to finally begin to deliver on some promises for uh, upping the level of service for a community that's historically been underserved uh, it's really important that we do the the harder work the less glamorous work of making getting to those things safer. So thank you, I really appreciate your answers. Just a couple more things. Um, have we looked at Nectarine Park and looked at it as a place that could benefit from a crosswalk? I understand it's a pretty narrow street, it's not a long way to traverse, but is that something that we've looked at or are looking at? Madam Mayor, Council Member Kiriako. Uh, yes, actually um, speaking to your, your comment about for lack of a better term, attractive nuisance, uh, a pocket park such as that um, obviously is going to attract young uh, young children or family and families. Um, so we have looked at uh, a crosswalk uh, at the at the intersection, the immediate um, adjacent intersection. That is still uh, under review, and uh, we plan to be making a, a decision on that very shortly. Okay. Um, uh, so we've looked at both uh, a crosswalk and positive control, like a stop sign at that location. Okay. Um, and we'll be making a determination here shortly. So just in terms of the spirit of uh, sharing suggestions of things that could be added to the plan later, I think looking at ways to make access to Nectarine Park safer would be a really, a really uh, important thing to me personally, um, whether it's a crosswalk, whether it's making sure that the signage, the pedestrian signage, is appropriately illuminated at different times. That sign has been really rickety and not terribly attractive to light and capturing the light. Um, and I, that's also a place that I think we should at least think about speed humps. Um, so I just wanna kind of put that out there for, for thoughts. Uh, one last question. Um, actually, no, that's it for my questions. Thank you. Councilmember Kasman. Thank you. Um, in the bike and pedestrian master plan there's uh, I don't know if that was one of your things but you have a bunch of uh, sort of indices at the end there's a weighted average composite score a prioritization analysis ranking 
and a uh, safety-related benefit cost. Can you, I have two questions. Can you describe them to some degree? And then it, what do you use in which of those do you use in um, ranking which projects would go? Because then by doing this, I assume you're able to make an objective comparison whether to have it in this neighborhood's concerns versus that one. You can actually have a score that you compare and say this one is more valuable. Uh, Madam Mayor, Councilmember Kazan, uh, I'm not sure exactly uh, the metrics that you're referring to. I know there was a ranking, there was a ranking methodology both in the bike and pedestrian master plan, and then there's also um, some statistics in the Goleta traffic safety study as well. If you look on attachment one in the report, there's the consolidated list of identified bike and pedestrian improvements. And in that table, to the far right-hand side, there are three columns. And uh, those reflect their scores for each of those projects that are included. And um, those okay. are rankings of, or some index that evaluates the uh, benefits. Yes, and this was, this was contained in the bike and pedestrian master plan. Um, the safety-related benefit cost is, is essentially uh, a calculation of an estimate at the time of the cost of the improvement versus um, a, projected, uh, a projected benefit um, that can be, that can be um, monetized. They're, they're, they actually do have data on average cost of, of different types of collisions uh, to the community. Um, and uh, so if you can show, there's data that shows that, for example, um, installing a speed hump is going to reduce collisions by 20%. So you multiply that 20% times the cost of the types of collisions that you have out there, that's, a bit, that's the monetary benefit that that project provides. Divided by the cost, you get a benefit cost ratio. The, the higher benefit cost ratio you have, the more bang for the buck you're getting. Um, this is benefit cost per dollar. Correct, right? in dollars, in dollars. Um, the prioritization analysis ranking, again, I wasn't part of form forming the Bike and Pedestrian Master Plan, but I ex anticipate that that has to do with public input, uh, the number of, you know, the popularity based on the um, public outreach um, and then a composite score is probably some, some combination, some average, weighted average of those two uh, information. Um, so let me ask you yes, this. Yes. So, uh, you know, I guess we don't have the specifics of it right now, but what really strikes me, what I wonder about is if, um, number one, we could create something similar for CIP and have a kind of more objective, quantitative way of comparing different sorts of projects to show you know, benefits per dollar or something like that. So to distinguish here some low-hanging fruit where you get a real big safety bang for the buck, et cetera. Uh, Council Member Kazan, I would, I, would, uh, I would only caution that <clears throat> not every project is a safety project. So um, while sometimes the benefits are difficult to um, to calculate as far as a hard 
dollar number. This is a methodology that's, that's used quite commonly for safety projects because there's been so much work done statewide on um, costs to the cost to society associated with, with collisions, whereas other projects that have other outcomes or other goals may be harder to quantify the benefits in a, in a monetary amount. Um, but, but your point is well taken. Yeah, if we can do that, I mean, two things. One is I would note we're also today passing something on Vision Zero, so that seems to prioritize the safety questions more. Uh, but to the extent that there are other, you know, whether it's reducing congestion, there are definitely ways of coming up with a monetary value for uh, congestion reduction. And anything that would just help in terms of some more objective way of comparing different sorts of projects in different locations, I think would help us. Council Member Kasdan, we are currently working on a project prioritization ranking for the oh. CIP, so you will be seeing that. Oh, and I see, oh, uh, like, <laughs> just like a groundhog popping I know, up. Right? Oh. <laughs> I know, once in a while I pop up. Maybe it'll be spring soon. Um, <laughs> Uh, I also, we, we did a ranking of the CIP in 2019. Uh, mm -hmm. We used a pretty, pretty big set of different criteria. Some of it was public input. Some of it was even longevity of how long the project had been in the pipeline. Um, as uh, Mr. Rapp mentioned, we did not have something like a benefit to cost ratio because we didn't really have that, that sort of, that kind of data of um, societal impact on a particular project. But, but in 2019, we did a pretty extensive look at at the CIP at that time. And one of the things we did is we defined what we called at, the, at that point the top 30 projects that we thought were either um, projects that had high commitments, for example, when we have grants, uh, therefore the project has to go, we've taken a grant, that kind of thing. Um, and then since then, we've really tried to take a look at, at, at our CIP in terms of um, uh, not only the projects that have to go because there's commitments, but also where we are financially and how we can deliver those projects in a certain time frame with the, with the funding that we have. And, and so that sort of morphed into a, a, instead of a top 30, we've been more focusing on a five-year plan that, that looks at active projects and then defines inactive projects. And active projects are projects that we know we really have to deliver in a timely manner because, for example, a, a, a time commitment with a grant uh, public expectations, city council expectation, things like that. So, so we did do a pretty big effort at that point, and I would just throw in that we also did uh, an extensive effort on our preliminary cost estimates at that point. And and uh, as we now have begun to have a, a great team and staffed up, I think one of the things my one of my goals for our department is not only doing those rankings, understanding how a a master plan like the bicycle and pedestrian master plan. Um, and it's, it's listed goals and priorities and projects are incorporated into the CIP, um, but also how we then uh, prioritize that, continue to update our, our preliminary cost estimates, and then do what Mr. Nesbitt suggested, is starting to bring this stuff back on a more regular basis now that we have the staff. And I think that's very key. That's gigantically the key because, um, uh, you know, for example, not seeing this the bicycle and pedestrian master plan for five years is actually kind of a negative because it it's something where you you know it's almost almost as if it's brand new. We haven't seen this. Mm -hmm. We didn't know it was happening. We weren't able to report on it. And so I think Mr. Nesbitt's uh, 
uh, direction to staff that we start considering bringing these things on a more regular basis and also bringing projects on a more regular basis is really, really key. And now that we have the staff, this is fantastic because we can. But since you, you brought it up, you know, I'll be quick. Um, but the, um, you had mentioned the, um, with the CIP list and the active and inactive. I guess when you, we have the CIP workshop, you could bring, um, if we could see a list of which projects are sort of encumbered, whether it's from a grant or whether it's because it's in part of our LRDP or something like that, here's the encumbered ones and here are the non-encumbered ones. And, you know, because I, and then the value, the dollar value, because we get, um, you know, people concerned about our backlog. But some of the things on, all of those that are not encumbered aren't a burden. They're just, you know, on paper, but they're not any burden to us. It's only those where we have some sort of kind of mandate that we're going to have to deal with them in the future. We don't have discretion. We don't have choice where, where it's a different situation. So... I would ask uh, that and, and another, if there are some on there, like we've wanted to whittle down the list in some ways, if there are some on that list that are both unencumbered and more than 15 years old, I think it's appropriate for us to make a judgment about whether it's still current, it's still appropriate, it's still consistent with our existing plan and, and perhaps, um, you know, maybe they, any such project is dumped after 15 years unless we choose to keep it on. And, um, and I guess one last thing, and I, I appreciate the forbearance of um, that with that 101 overpass question, if we, we've discussed it before, getting a more accurate contemporary estimate of what a bike ped one would be, uh, it's obviously gotten a lot of the, the zeitgeist. <laughs> If we could get a, uh, a sense of, is this, how doable is it, that would be helpful. Uh, Mayor Prodi, Councilmember Kasdan, I really appreciate your comments. Uh, much of what you've asked for, we actually already have. Good. We have the, we know where the projects come from, uh, whether it's LRDP or Development Impact Fee Program, uh, whether it's sometimes staff initiated, city council initiated. Um, we also know how long, uh, we can determine how long the projects have been on the CIP list. A lot of that data is already there. Um, also, um, when we go back to that uh, ranking that we did in 2019, we did look at what was you know, encumbered, in other words, with grants, that kind of thing, what funding was already allocated, uh, and that is something we already have also. And I think, I think the best way to really think about this is that Pub Works, now that we have the staff, is really looking at um, how do we present this data? Because the data is out there, it's in the budget in a lot of ways, um, but I think we need to paint that picture better. And I'd like to have that picture, and I know you guys would like to have it, and the public would like to have that picture. So I think as we paint that picture better, and we, we kind of did that in our first shot on October 30th when we brought the CIP program to you at that point. And I think we want to continue that, that effort, and I really appreciate the ideas that you, you mentioned, and we will, we will bring that forward. Um, with the 101 overcrossing project in particular, um, it's been mentioned that there have been many cost estimates over the years. Those are preliminary cost estimates. Often they're just literally um, putting your thumb out there and saying, hey, we know the range that this project is going to cost. However, more recently, just to give you a flavor for what things cost, we did take the bid summaries from our recent projects, including Project Connect, and we applied that to 
the 101 overcrossing as a vehicular overcrossing. Right. And Not we, interested. In I know, vehicular. but I well, I just want to I want to throw the number out there because it was in the it was recently mentioned and it was in the SBCAG presentation that Mr. Nesbitt did recently where our assistant public works director personally did the cost estimate and we did determine that the the most likely uh, cost estimate, preliminary cost estimate this time for a vehicular crossing is 275 million. And that's taking what we know today of the bid summaries of recent bids that we've received, for example, uh, with Project Connect. So we think that's a fairly accurate preliminary cost estimate, which is different than an engineer's estimate. It's very preliminary, but it's an important number to really think about. Uh, a bicycle pedestrian uh, overcrossing would be likely substantially less but it would also be a considerable amount. I don't want to. I don't want to paint that picture too rosy. It would be a, uh, you know, again. Now I'm going back to. I'm just putting my thumb in the air, saying I think it's in this range. I still think a, a bicycle and pedestrian overcrossing is a hundred million dollar project. So we need to think about that. I mean, I guess the thing is, we all saw the newspaper story about Santa Barbara's one that thirty something, and so if there's an opportunity to get it. At that lower end, it's a much more doable thing than at the higher end if it's, you know, depending on the, on the land that we have to acquire, if there are ways to, you know, have uh, cheaper access, if that's one of the things that you're thinking is driving the cost up. Uh, but I just want to give you some context. My son's going to high school next year. <laughs> And he's going to want to be able to Got take it. something like that. Got it. So, uh, you know, keep that it. in I, mind as far as prioritizations absolutely. and so forth. Yeah. I don't want to derail our, our presentation on the Bicycle Pedestrian Master Plan, but I, but I do think that uh, stay tuned because we will be um, working on that and the preliminary cost estimate for that. And, and uh, hopefully we could get that, pro that dollar amount lower, but I just want to make sure that we're, we take a sober look at it and understand what, what, where we might be going if we were to take on a project of that size. Okay. Thank uh, you very much. Before you leave, Mr. Ebling, I, I want to follow up on that since that's my question as well as the, um, the 101 overcrossing. Might we, um, I, I, had the, um, I had the opportunity to go to a, a meeting, what was called the U.S. Um, Congress uh, co Convention of Mayors, and it was all mayors from all over the United States, and it was um, last Friday. And I ran into the mayor from Santa Monica. And now they have an over, I talked to him about the overcrossing. And they, they have an overcrossing um, over the one, I guess Highway 1. And it's sure, it's been there a long time. But he said that it's a different technique than what we're proposing. It's more of a spiral, a, a corkscrew approach. I'm just wondering, I mean, I'm not an engineer, so I have no idea what it's called. But I know that um, maybe there's another uh, way of looking at that. If we're just looking at uh, bikes and ped crossing, maybe there's a way that it, it's another option, another way, another location, so that we're not taking homes. Um, that's where the price goes up when we're having to um, possibly buy out somebody's home because that's what it looks like to me. It's where it lands and where it's, it's not. It. So anyway, maybe there's another way that we can look at it. Is that something that we could go back to the drawing boards and look at um, and then see if there's another way of, um, of um, looking at it to cost less for one? Because I, I just want to make it really clear that um, I never heard anybody on this council say that that project is dead. It's not. 
it's just something we're not, we, we have to revisit because 247 million, is that what it was? Uh, unfortunately, uh, that, 275, <laughs> it, yes. Wow, you know, and it's only gonna keep increasing. So Correct. I think we need to look at it a different way. And I know I've gone off topic a little bit. I'm, excuse me, but um, I really needed to say that. Well, Mayor Prodi, in the spirit of talking about bikes and pedestrians and with that type of facility, uh, yes, I think that what we, what I will recommend to the city is that we take a step back and we think about uh, alternatives, alternative designs, alternative locations. Some of that work was done in 2016 era, 2017 yeah. era. I would suggest that that work is a little bit stale, that we would want to start start fresh and look at where we might put a, a bike and pad overcrossing with maybe keeping in mind what the previous work had done. Uh, there are different styles. Um, you know, as you mentioned, there can be a spiral ramp down. There can be long ramps, mm -hmm. uh, such as the one proposed by City of Santa Barbara in their overcrossing. Um, you know, part of what we think about for here is that we're more constrained than the one that Santa Barbara is pr proposing, and we likely will have to acquire a property to be able to do it. We don't have right away in the areas where this would occur. Um, also, our span will be very significant. Um, much like theirs, it, it has to go across a, a very large freeway and a railroad, and and uh, and we're looking at newer standards, um, and we came across this in our own projects uh, with Union Pacific and their n newer policies of what they allow in around their right-of-way, over their right-of-way, that kind of thing. Sure. So we know that this bridge would have to be very significant. Its span would be very large, maybe as much as a couple hundred feet long. And then we have other constraints. For example, we have to meet Americans with Disabilities Act. We have to make it you know, work well for bikes and pedestrians, sure. that kind of thing. So I think our project, it's a little apples and oranges to compare our projects to Santa Barbara's. They have, they've lucked out. They have their own property on either side of the, road, the freeway. So they're not buying property, as I understand it. So they've got some, they've got some lucky circumstances that we may not have and we just want to continue to think about that so i would go back to maybe my old statement of the project delivery process we need to start at the beginning with conceptual <laughs> design and think about some design alternatives design locations do a good preliminary cost estimate those kinds of things so i think i think we really want to restart that project and again i agree with you wholeheartedly that it's not off the list it's just that we really need to take a yeah. a, a look at um, know how we would go about delivering this project I also have thought a lot about I want to add this in that we have thought a lot about project cost and project cost escalation and I think it's very important and something I want to talk about more over time is that we start to understand how we're going to fund a project early on and that we also try to expedite the delivery of that project because when a project sits around for 20 years those costs um, just balloon beyond all you know belief and I think, so we wanna really make sure that if we're gonna embark on very large, you know, significant capital improvement projects, that we take that into account. That do we have the ability to deliver it? Are we, are we looking at, can we expedite the delivery and do it in a timely manner so that we're not faced with uh, incredible cost increases, uh, things like that? Do we know how we're gonna fund it more upfront? Um, so I, I think all that is something that our, our capital improvement program uh, manager is really great at. And I'm, we're very lucky to have Autumn Glazier heading up that division. And so it's just, if you can tell my enthusiasm, it's, it's awesome because having, having this great staff where we can now do these things, it's, it's very cool. I just, the point I wanna make is that it's there. It's not gone away, that Absolutely. it's still on the books. Okay, 
that's that was my point. Thank you. And um, I'm almost done, but I wanted to um, thank you, um, Mayor Pratam Reyes-Martin, um, for talking about Cathedral Oaks. Um, that's that section going from Brandon to Winchester. That's my area. I live down in the canyon below, and that that road has always screamed speed. It's just very wide. Um, so it, it's problematic. So I think something we really need, especially since we are getting ready to repave it um, in April or May sometime, I think that there gives us some opportunity to look at the design of it a little different, do some traffic calming of some sort would be great. So thank you for that. Um, another, um, Something I want to mention is the crib wall. Um, you know, someone mentioned to me today, I was at an MTD meeting, and someone mentioned to me, you know, the airport's closed, and um, and we're really landlocked here. If, if 101 shuts down in both directions, and then you got the airport closed, and now we've got Cathedral Oaks closed, um, it, it, it just needs, we just need to figure out how to fix that. that I'm just going to put it out there. It just needs to be done. Um, there was a woman that came up to me at the coffee at Brandon, um, Coffee and Community, and she mentioned a sidewalk that she felt there was a need for a sidewalk. Um, if you're on Cathedral Oaks going past the high school and, and then you, um, you're going east and you turn right onto um, Glen Annie, there's no sidewalks. And so I went by there today deliberately when the time when the kids were getting out of school. They're walking in the road. So that can be considered a safe route to school project. Um, and I think the schools should be working with the city. It's hard for the schools to apply for safe route school grants on their own. So if they, we all work together, I think that would be a great idea. Um, and I guess this is just a congratulations on the speed limit. I mean, how long have we been wanting to have more control over that 85 percentile? So here it is, and I'd love to learn more about it as well. So, okay, um, Council uh, Mayor Pertem. I just wanted to briefly add, um, I think you're going to hear, I think all of us echo that we absolutely need to uh, facilitate safer access um, across 101, um, really in all of Goleta. Um, and so I also wanted to say that, you know, I think a, a bike and pedestrian overcrossing um, is absolutely something I want to continue um, evaluating. Um, and I will share that, you know, something that I'm particularly sensitive about, if I look back, you know, in my previous uh, years working as a planner, I actually worked with Caltrans um, in right-of-way acquisitions, um, and it is a very painful process, um, and I am very sensitive to the taking of private property. Um, and um, so I just want to share that, you know, that is that is very challenging. And so to the extent that we can evaluate an option that minimizes that as much as possible um, is something that I would be very sensitive to. Thank you. Councilmember Carriaco. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. I just wanted to go back to your comment about uh, the Santa Monica mayor and the <laughs> and the, uh, the overcrossings. Uh, you don't have to go that far south. You can actually go to either the Alamar overcrossing or the um, Anapamu overcrossing right by the West Side Boys Club. That's, those oh, are examples of spiral, yeah. spiral um, going up about that one. Um, yeah. overcrossings. Uh, and, and I think another key consideration, I think uh, our public works director addressed this, is the span. 
you know, you, you don't want to build a $35 million footbridge if it only goes halfway across <laughs> no. the span, right? So, um, you know, we have, we have some challenges there. We also don't have the benefit of having um, Dwight Murphy Field be the destination for any of our preferred sites, right? It's, we have basically three alternatives and all three of them have different kinds of challenges, one of which is uh, your height, right? If you've, got, if you've got one end of the side of a bridge that's significantly lower, significantly higher than the other, you know, do you want a bridge that's going like this? I don't think you do, right? So you're gonna have to make that up somewhere and it's gonna be grading, it's gonna be fill, it's gonna be construction, it's gonna be concrete. And all of those things are recipe for more, more money. So I don't think it's as simple as just, oh, well, Santa Barbara's doing one for 35 million and spoiler alert, when that one finally gets through the process, it's gonna be more than 35 million. Um, it probably won't get through this, this process for them, but it'll get scored and then they'll be able to go out and attract grants and they'll know what they're working with and it'll probably be a much more expensive project by that time. And I, I suspect you're probably pretty close to being right on the money at 100 million right now. So thank you. Well, I'm sure that we have speakers that want to speak to this, so I think it would be a good time to ask for speakers. Yes, those of you on the Zoom webinar, be sure to use the raised hand icon and I will call on you. I have six speaker slips and two people with their hands up. Our first speaker is Ethan Woodall. So I did learn a lot. Um, especially want to talk a little bit about the lack of maintenance as well on the Cathedral Oaks bike path, right near Paseo del Peon and Cathedral Oaks. While we're going to do that repaving project, there's a lot of drainage issues bringing mud onto that bike path, creating a situation with that bike path that's not passable also creates problems. And I feel with uh, Reyes Martin, I knew Adolfo Corral and his wife. Um, my heart goes out to their family. Um, as well, we need to talk about a code of conduct for vehicles that are non-vehicles, like non-cars. Um, these vehicles move faster than they ever have. Average drivers don't understand how fast they are coming and judging distance is a problem. We need to understand child safety. Um, they're not identifying these as speeds. There needs to be speed limits. If you're going to be going, uh, traveling over 25 miles an hour, you need to travel as a motor vehicle. You need to be following motor vehicle codes. You probably need to be registering. I remember I wanted a moped as a kid. I wanted to be able to go 45 miles an hour on a moped. I needed to be 15 and a half. I needed to go to the DMV. I needed to apply some of those things. As well though, as a neighborhood, we need to be better neighbors. I just read recently about a couple of kids threatening other kids on e-bikes, okay? We need to take more responsibility as neighbors together. We need to have neighborhood meetings to discuss these problems. And we need to put together a solution and basically an uh, overall code of conduct for bicyclists, moving bicycles, that we need to have penalties for people who are removing the uh, safety features on these bicycles, making them travel at speeds that are just unrealistic. Um, to Mr. Kasdan, when we're talking about Hollister, the route's a horrible idea. Look, I've rode a bicycle for a long time. My bicycle commuted, okay? I'm racing when I really want to get somewhere and I'm kind of a risk taker. Oh yeah, I'll take that route, but it's bad. Um, Mr. Kiriako, I completely understand when you're looking for better, Armidos in those areas is gonna be a problem. 
but as well, we need to get people off those major arteries and on better, more dedicated routes. Um, I would always go through Isla Vista to come around if I had the time. It's only the time when I'm pinched for time. Um, when I lived in the Bay Area, there was other things and also downtown. We needed bike stations. We need to provide places for safety for bikes. We're having gentlemen earlier in the general comments talk about safety and crime. You're gonna need, my bicycle is my asset. I'll be honest, I had a really nice old specialized. I used to ride it to, to work up at Oyo Ilamone when I used to work there. It got stolen. I had that bike in San Francisco for five years, never got touched. It was like taking a part of my heart. Um, we also need to create patrol and safety and education. We need to go after the parents and make those parents responsible for their kids. The kind of traffic school for e-bikes. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Jason Chapman. Hello, Madam Mayor and City Council. I am ecstatic uh, to, to <laughs> see this today. Speechless. <laughs> uh, this is something I, you know, uh, I've been coming and advocating here for, for, for years, um, and it's something that can't come soon enough. Um, I never thought I'd be emotional reading a City Council agenda, but <laughs> I was. Um, there have been far too many people harmed on our streets. Um, there have been far, and far too often has been the most disadvantaged among us, and often the smallest among us. Um, I'm glad that this city council is taking a firmer stance on that this is preventable, that this isn't a fact of life that we all just have to accept, and that the city is not powerless to do anything about it. So, uh, you know, other places have, have actually found success. Uh, it was mentioned in the staff report. The city of Oslo had, in I think 2019, zero pedestrian or bike deaths, and one person died in a, in a single vehicle accident. So some might say that there's something fundamentally different about them that says that, that they could pull that off there, but we can't do that here. But that's not true. There's nothing fundamentally different. It's just that they took the decision to go in that direction. They made the investments that needed to do. They made the changes, the difficult changes that are needed to make that happen. You know, it's probably a longer road for us. You know, by the numbers, we're even having uh, more incidents here than in uh, similar cities in California. You know, and the United States as a whole has gone backwards on this regard when it comes to pedestrian bike safety. But as I've said before, I believe that Goleta can become a standout city and can actually buck that trend and go in the opposite direction. It's going to require making changes. It's gonna require looking at our current projects. And once we've decided to, to uh, embrace Vision Zero, do the current capital projects support that? Are they in alignment with that? You know, we've got a project about widening uh, Hollister. And you know, wide, fast arterials are the most dangerous areas for bikes and pedestrians, by the numbers. And so, you know, we need to go forward and we need to make decisions based on not opinions, but based on data, based on evidence of what works. We need to be bold and not be afraid to look internationally and look at examples of, of where things work and how the built environment affects the way people behave. You know, it's, it's a feedback thing. We talk about wide roads and narrow roads and there are things that we can change, you know, not just the speed limits. You know, and as we've talked before, speed limits 
actually don't do a lot to deter high speeds. We need to make the physical changes, the physical environment, and that's that's that means making investments that we didn't before. So I hope that the city uh, council will enthusiastically uh, support this motion and commit to putting together a Vision Zero plan and start making these changes as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Colleen Re Reynolds. Hello, Madam Mayor um, and City Councilors. My name is Colleen Reynolds. Um, I am a resident of Old Town Goleta, and I have been for the past five years. Um, I wanted to speak here today to voice my support for this Vision Zero plan that we, we saw today. I was really excited with what I saw and a lot of the enthusiasm from the Council in these, in these changes that can be implemented to improve the safety of both pedestrians and bicyclists in the neighborhood. Um, I am one of those pedestrians a lot of the time. Um, I live on Orange Ave in Old Town and I walk around the neighborhood. You highlighted several of the intersections along my running route today. Um, and um, uh, I frequently, uh, one of the things I love about where I live is I can walk to grocery stores, bakeries, coffee shops every day. Um, I frequently go to a coffee shop that's just down the road and across Hollister. I get to Hollister, I hit a button on um, a flashing light crosswalk to get across the street. And it's then when you think about how um, the uh, rate of fatalities and serious injuries increases significantly whenever cars um, hit a pedestrian when going over, say, 20, 25 miles an hour. And the speed that cars are driving on that street is uh, well, above, um, well above that, at like 30, 35 miles an hour, as per recent safety studies. Um, and uh, the other thing you think about is um, how often you see these cars flow right through that, that crosswalk. I literally, 10 minutes before this meeting, uh, was halfway across the street when a car went in front of me. Um, so I have been lucky enough to not have been hit by a car in the last five years, but I know that not everyone has been so lucky. And so I want you to keep that in mind that these are there's a lot of changes that we can make that are simple, like slowing down those streets and narrowing them um, for, for the cars and increasing the, the safety of the pedestrians there, um, as well as increasing the safety of the bicyclists so more of us would feel safe in biking around that neighborhood. As right now, when I moved there, I had a bike, um, but it sat in my garage for five years because I never really felt safe leaving my home on a bike um, in that neighborhood. So I ended up giving it away just a few months ago. Um, pretty much unused, but um, I would like you to keep all this in mind and really move forward in implementing these changes in Vision Zero. Um, thank you for uh, listening to me today. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kira Push. Is Kira still here? I think she left. So our next speaker is Mike Isa. Hi, my name is Mike Iza. I um, am a Goleta resident for many years. Been advocating for um, pedestrian safe, pedestrian and bike safety for many years. Um, it's funny to see that bridge issue still coming up. It's like that old um, soap opera back in the 80s as the world turns. It just kind of keeps going. Um, but first of all, I want to just appreciate the makeup of the council right now and uh, you guys prioritizing um, safety um, and, and uh, staff, I think has really done a, a good job of 
changing the direction of the tanker ship that is public infrastructure and putting it pointing in the right direction. I think I think there's been a lot to be said uh, and I'm proud of there. However, this is definitely not a time to sit on our laurels. And um, you know, one thing that was brought up is is why are these uh, numbers, uh, pedestrian and bike numbers, going up? And and you know, not scientific study at all, but but I can tell you, e-bikes have made a huge difference. Um, in my neighborhood, we live close to DP High School. I see a lot of high school kids that are riding bikes. Five years ago, didn't see many. Um, and what, what, I, what I want to emphasize here is that this situation is going to, you know, for lack of a better word, it's going to get worse. There's going to be a lot more e-bikes because it's so easy, right? And they're so affordable now. Uh, so this, you know, you, you, Stuart, you talked about this two-mile limit, right? It's, it's a lot more when you have an e-bike, and so people are more likely to use it. And so what I, what I want to emphasize here is um, we really need to put our nose to the grindstone and pump out these projects a lot quicker because e-bike usage is really going to increase. I, I, I really do believe that. And it doesn't matter what kind of infrastructure you have per se, um, the usage is going to go up because the infrastructure around the high school has changed marginally, I would say, uh, to accommodate this, but e-bikes are being used. So um, I, would, I would encourage you guys to, 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 to look ahead and work quickly to try to address these issues. One, one plug I want to make, and I, I, I don't work for a construction company or anything like that, but I want to say, you know, bang for the buck. I think if you really want to get uh, a safe route that's cheap, I want to emphasize the use of bollards. I've, I've talked about it before, but these are things that can be installed fairly cheaply. They can be done during um, repaving, and so I want to emphasize that. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Barry Remus. Well, good evening, Madam uh, Mayor Paul Prodi and council members. My name is Barry Remus, and I'm representing MOVE Santa Barbara County, which it's kind of oh, it's flattering to hear that people are still saying Coast and Santa Barbara Bicycle Coalition. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> we merged 2021. So we, we, uh, we support um, walking, biking, transit, and rail. And we also actually provide the Safe Routes to School program, um, mainly in South County, but also countywide as well, too. Um, so th this is um, very exciting to see this. Um, um, Councilmember Richards, I want to particularly thank you, because I believe, unless I'm wrong, you kind of were the one that requested that this update of the Bike Pad Master Plan come before Council, so thank you for doing that. And we're encouraged um, and happy to see that there has been progress made, uh, projects that have gone in. Uh, the Public Works Department has, especially with beefing up the staff, um, is really being able to focus more on being able to incorporate opportunities for uh, imp improved bike and pedestrian safety when repavement projects happen. Um, but at the same time, we also have to be realistic and acknowledge that yes, there is more to be done. We have a lot, a long list of uh, projects, including high-ranking ones. I'm going to once again remind us that we still don't have bike lanes on Hollister Old Town, and hopefully that's going to be coming before you again soon to, to try to work out how that can get done sooner than later. Uh, and also um, a multi-use path across the uh, Fairview Avenue overcrossing, which is a death trap for 
most uh, cyclists and or pedestrians. So that's been a long time in the works as well, too. Um, are you ready to commit to Vision Zero? I mean, really, are you? Because seriously, uh, it took a while for the city of Santa Barbara to get that done. En enacted in 2016, but it, it was, and again, this is just another thing that we just don't want this to be a policy up on the shelf. Um, it, it, it can be achieved because as uh, Mr. Chapman mentioned, not only Oslo, but Helsinki uh, made it to zero pedestrian deaths in 2019. Um, but if we value, if you value, if we value the lives of our citizens, our community members on the roads, then let's push forward and enact not just a, poly, a vision zero, a resolution, but back it up with a plan and a strategy that includes more beef to it. And also, not only that, but also a goal date. Because currently now, we don't see something like that. But most vision zero cities, cities have said, by X date, 2030, 2040, et cetera, there will be zero pedestrian and, and, and uh, bicyclist or zero fatalities on our streets. Um, and, and also think about um, one way that could potentially achieve that, and it is budget season, so this could be the right time to do it, is to consider budgeting for a mobility coordinator position within the city of Santa Barbara that can orchestrate active transportation projects throughout the city and also help facilitate the, the implementation of that Vision Zero commitment that hopefully you'll make tonight. Um, San Jose Creek, oh, I'm done. Uh, San, uh, San Jose Creek is another opportunity for that safer route to school. So when that gets done, the kids will be able to get to Kellogg and uh, some of those other schools on the other side of the freeway. So thank you very much. Thank you. That concludes our in-person speakers. Our first Zoom speaker is Sullivan Israel. Please be sure to unmute yourself and you'll have three minutes. Uh, hello, Sully Israel again from Strongtown, Santa Barbara. I have been hanging out this whole time watching the meeting while I do homework. Um, and I've got to say, I'm super excited as well to see Vision Zero on the agenda. That's why I'm here. Um, and I also have to say that the, the council members, I really appreciated your conversation. You brought up great questions, especially about, you know, bike trips that are being made and sort of prioritizing projects. I really appreciated that. It just so happens that uh, here when I'm at college last quarter, I spent the better part of that quarter writing a 20-something page long research paper on Vision Zero. And so I'm super familiar. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but super familiar. And one thing I'll say is that you don't actually have to travel to Scandinavia to see examples of cities that achieved it. Um, the city of Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, which has 60,000 people, so quite a bit larger than Goleta, um, achieved Vision Zero for a number of years running, actually. But what's interesting, what I wrote about in my paper is that a number of other American cities have adopted Vision Zero, but have actually experienced more traffic fatalities since adoption. And so what I looked at is the difference between a place like Hoboken and places like Los Angeles or San Francisco that have Vision Zero uh, in place, is that Hoboken really committed to infrastructure changes. Mm -hmm. And they committed to low-cost ones, which were clearly effective. Some of them included um, something called daylighting, which is making sure that people don't park too close to a crosswalk so that you can see around corners, especially to see if there's a bike, uh, protected lanes with, with plastic bollards um, or uh, raised crosswalks. Uh, one of the other speakers mentioned a car blowing through a crosswalk. You can't really blow through a crosswalk if it's sort of raised up like a, like a speed table. And so it's sort of these simple changes that seem to really work for that city. Um, so yeah, what I would say is, in order to prevent this not becoming just a policy that doesn't get fulfilled, as so many American cities have been seeing, there really do need to be physical changes. 
And I'll also say that for um, oh, for uh, potential trips is another important thing. So there's the current trips one city council member mentioned. There's also potential trips, and you can actually model those based off of land uses. You know, you can see population densities. Imagine you live somewhere around the Nectarine Avenue area, for instance, and you want to get to Trader Joe's. That's probably a trip that right now will not be made by bike because you have to go all the way over to Fairview and cross multiple freeway on-ramps. But if there was another route or if there was a protected bike lane route, that would be a potential trip based on the land uses. So that's another interesting thing to look at as well. So uh, thank you so much for having us on the agenda, and I really hope to see it go through. Thank you. Okay. Our next speaker is Joanna Kaufman. Please be sure to unmute yourself when you'll have three minutes. Thank you. Um, I just want to say thanks to staff and council for bringing this to the table. Um, I was involved in the development of the Bicycle and Pedestrian Master Plan many years ago, and I'm so happy to see um, Vision Zero finally coming along and um, having this policy uh, become a reality in Goleta. Um, in that same vein, I want to acknowledge the decades of work of other individuals um, that have pushed forward this policy as well, and to also acknowledge those who have been killed. Um, I hope that this serves as a point that their memory can be honored so others can have safe roads to travel on. And it's really clear to me, I think what I'm really excited about is that it seems like these discussions and these concepts are really getting baked into the culture of the city. And um, I really think Vision Zero is a win-win for the community. It's not just about bikes but it's a, or pedestrians, but it's really about centering people and centering the community. Vision Zero is meant to be um, creating a safe environment for everyone. And there's other co-benefits that come from that, um, which I'm not gonna go into more detail, but there really are just so many other improvements that will happen in, you know, besides just simply avoiding serious injuries and fatalities. Um, there's a lot of research around the, the subject of traffic safety, and um, the last speaker, Sullivan, I think, spoke to some of the empirical evidence around, you know, what's made for success, successful Vision Zero plans and um, where others have been lacking. I think it's um, important to stress uh, centering traffic calming and anything that will reduce speed. Um, Unfortunately, after the last fatality that was in Goleta um, occurred, I sent in an article that had been uh, recently published by the New York Times, and it, it really stressed. I, I think I liked the one of the last sentences in there, a transportation system that is safer by design um, might better absorb any one of the dangers, and the article goes over many possible reasons why traffic fatalities um, have gone up in the United States. But basically, um, you know, they, they hypothesize that, that there's more distracted driving. And the bottom line is distracted drivers are safer at lower speeds. People out at night are safer with well-lit crosswalks. So I think it's important to really look at what's proven to get people to slow down. And that will really um, help improve safety in the city of Goleta. And just one question that I wanna throw out there, I think um, what will be important now that other jurisdictions are adopting similar policies, like those in the city of Santa Barbara, um, jurisdictions that impact Goleta, 
um, because of the way jurisdictional boundaries are drawn. So how can you um, partner with Caltrans, the county, city of Santa Barbara, UCSB to really make this a slam dunk? Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Cariaco. We do have we actually have... A, one more speaker. Okay, sorry. No problem. And that is uh, Steve Nelson. Please be sure to unmute yourself and you'll have three minutes. Hi, good evening. Greetings from the farthest reaches of uh, northern Maine, where I'm coming back to my home in Goleta, where I've lived for many years and am an avid cyclist. And it's my pleasure to uh, thank this council for addressing this issue in such a uh, straight on way. <laughs> and to uh, agree with many of the, the speakers who came before me, they were all spoke very articulately and intelligently about these issues. And just to add, as I may, um, Vision Zero is a wonderful thing in theory, uh, but I think we found the example of the big city to the south of us, beg your pardon, um, it's not always successful. It requires an extreme commitment, as has been mentioned, particularly in the areas of education and enforcement. I think education is is really a strong necessity on both the uh, the pedestrians, cyclists, as well as the motorists. Uh, there's a, an extreme lack on either end, uh, perhaps as basic as the laws of physics, um, and also the rights of uh, cyclists or pedestrians in the roadway, as uh, perceived by motorists. Um, so, and enforcement has to be equally strong because what is it if there's no bite to it? Um, and to uh, build on what the previous speaker mentioned about how do we dovetail with other communities? Not all um, trips begin and end in our city of Goleta. And I have to say, we are doing an excellent job of addressing these issues, but we do interface with our surrounding communities and it would be great to get us all together to try to achieve the same safety, education, and uh, uh, beneficence that we'd like to see in our communities. Thank you very much for your commitment again to this issue, and uh, I hope that we see further progress in this area. Thank you. Uh, and that concludes public comment. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, let me begin by kind of responding to something I heard out in the audience, which was sort of a, a question, you know, will you actually do this? Um, I guess what I would say in response to that is um, it's going to come down to trust. And if you think of trust like an equation, it's essentially behavior over time. So I would encourage you to look at our actions. And I think our actions start before tonight. I think they start with, I'll give a couple examples. One would be the multimodal path. Um, in the Elwood, Western Goleta area. Um, you know, we, hear, we still hear some people grumbling that they lost some roadway, um, but I hear a lot more people that are really happy to be able to enjoy that area and they feel safer. And if you're a more experienced cyclist, you don't have to use that path, but if you're a less experienced cyclist, you can use that path. And the other one is the Complete Streets Project, which is rooted, quite frankly, in, measures, in uh, Vision Zero and which the city, when it had every excuse in the world to just let that sit on the shelf is, oh, look, we got a grant, we did a process, and maybe someday if we'll have the money, we'll do the project. Well, we didn't let the lack of money 
deter us. We didn't let the lack of, we certainly got a lot of complaints from people in the community about why do you want to do this? And you know, my understanding is we're like right on the precipice of actually executing that this year. So, um, so I feel pretty good about the behaviors that this council and prior councils, recent prior councils, have done towards have taken towards um, being a vision zero, zero city. So I feel like our actions belie the action we're going to take tonight. It's not just we're putting some words out there because it sounds cool and. We'll be able to add our name to a list. Uh, the other thing I'll plead for is patience. Uh, we haven't been around as long as Oslo, although sometimes it seems like it. Um, Goleta is a community really of two grids. You've got one grid in Old Town, which was done in the time of horses and buggies and has been added to in an ad hoc way over time as Goleta Bay became south of Hollister, Old Town, industrial area. And as uh, you know, other little projects shoehorn their way their way in, like Dearborn and others. So you have that grid, and then you have the grid that came in after Kachuma, and that one was basically done almost all at once. And so we have the grids that we have, um, we have the designs that we have. It's going to take time to reimagine, reengineer, and execute. Vision Zero effectively throughout the city. But I think the report very accurately stated all the steps that we're already taking to be opportunistic. Uh, we're putting more resources in our pavement program. Every time we do something with our pavement program, we're finding those opportunities. Um, you know, there was some mention in public comment about Los Angeles as being a place that's starting to get it. Um, they're going to try and pass Measure HLA this year, which would um, actually put some some resources and money behind Vision Zero and actually put in some requirements that any project of a certain size that is a certain distance from a certain area uh, would then be required to put in those types of traffic calming. I don't think Goleta is there yet, just to be honest. We are still a city that um, has to serve the public, frankly, with one hand tied behind its back. We give a lot of resources to the county every year for the right to exist. I'm not making a value judgment tonight on that topic because we're not agendized for it, but it's a reality that affects our ability to serve the community that we represent, right? Um, we only just last, you know, 22 passed a sales tax that can help us to pay for some of these programs. It just went into effect in January because we wanted to give the community time to get ready for it. There were some concerns about inflation, et cetera. So we're, the resources are coming. Um, I think the political will on this council is here uh, it's going to take time. Um, I think it's your job to keep pushing us. I think it's our job to keep listening and responding and building that trust that I was talking about earlier. Anybody else? Any closing remarks? Or are we ready for a motion? Councilman Richards? Thank you. Yeah, I, I just had a few comments as well. You know, I, I, I'm really excited to be taking this action tonight too. I know this is something that the community uh, has been asking for and we've been hearing uh, their pleas uh, uh, for many years now. And I'm, I feel like we're at a point where we can make this commitment and, and, and pass a resolution and be able to demonstrate that it's not just gonna be sitting on the shelf, that, that this is something that I think even just as, as we review what we've already done up into this point with the bicycle and pedestrian master plan, where we're already on the path uh, to Im improving our infrastructure and making our city safer for bicyclists and pedestrians, 
And this is, for me, like the next logical step. So we're actually building on what we've already done and showing uh, a, a, a deeper commitment um, to, to move forward. I, I appreciated the comments that were made about this being a people-centered uh, uh, action and that really does prioritize the lives and the health and the welfare and the safety of our, of our people, uh, our, our best resource in, in the city. Um, not just our pedestrians and our bicyclists, um, but certainly our pedestrians and our bicyclists who are vulnerable and, and, out, and, and, and are putting their lives at risk when they cross the street, when they uh, get on a bicycle. Uh, but it also prioritizes drivers' safety. And, and as we know, you know, people die in car accidents all the time. Um, so it, it and, and driving at uh, faster speeds makes it less safe for, for vehicles as well as, as pedestrians and bicycles. So the traffic calming measures that we've discussed that we'll be seeing more of uh, when that policy comes back um, and, and the coordination of our efforts here uh, really will make it safer for everybody. And, and, and that's why it, it is uh, so exciting uh, for us to be doing this. You know, our city was, as we heard a little history lesson about how how the city grew, but you know, it, it was, it, our city was planned as a suburban, pr primarily a suburban area where the car has been king and people are used to driving um, around and they're used to driving at faster speeds and trying to get from point A to point B as quickly as they can. And, you know, and so we're, we're facing a kind of cultural shift. You know, we're trying to instill in this, uh, uh, in, in our people about the, the need to uh, slow things down, to uh, be careful about uh, safety of, the, of those who are around us. Um, so it is a, it is, there is a lot of education. I, I know that that was uh, enforced in the, in the, in the report. Um, there's education that we need to do outreach. We need to really uh, do enforcement of, of our, our laws. You know, I, I think we talked about reducing speed limits and that's not, that, that in itself isn't going to solve the problem if we don't have people obeying the speed limit or if we're not doing enough to enforce what those uh, speed limits are. So I, 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 I'm excited that we're here. I'm excited that we're doing this and, and it's about time. And so, you know, and I'm happy to make the motion whenever that time is. I think you should. <laughs> I want to thank staff as well for great, great presentation and all the good work. And thank you for everyone that came and spoke. Um, thank you. Well, we've re already received a report um, of, of the SB1 that led to some question after time. So I think uh, the motion will be to adopt uh, resolution number 24 next in line entitled A Resolution of Police and Sports City of Salida, California, in support of Vision Zero efforts to eliminate fatal and severe transportation I'll second. Oh, I'll I'll second. Get Stuart. <laughs> or I'll third. I'll third. <laughs> I'll fourth. <laughs> okay. Um, a roll call vote. Councilmember Kiriako. Aye. Councilmember Richards. Yes. Councilmember Kasdan. Aye. Mayor Potemport Reyes Martin. An enthusiastic aye. And Mayor Perotti. Aye. And do please lock in your votes.
Eyes have it. Does yours count more because it's enthusiastic? Hey. <laughs> it's a little greener. It's a tiny bit greener on the side. Oh, all right. Well, I don't think we have another item to discuss. We might have um, uh, committee reports. Uh, I'll just share the Human Services Committee has begun a review of, uh, uh, I forget how many grants. 80? I think it was 90 or more. Um, I saw that and I went, Yeah, oh. I, and that includes a, a community development block grant, CDBG grants, as well as the city grants. Uh, we've had two meetings so far. We have one more scheduled Thursday, and hopefully we'll be able to wrap up our work then. Thank you. Councilmember Tiraco? I guess I'll do one tonight, um, since it's not quite so late. Um, there was a meeting of um, a subcommittee of the Brighter Futures uh, Coalition today. It's the group that was um, commissioned by uh, the county uh, through the, um, the rescue plan uh, funding to uh, go towards planning for a future with access to more childcare. And one of the things that stood out for me from that meeting was the um, the economic impact of the lack of childcare options in Santa Barbara County. Uh, I don't have the exact figures in front of me because it's in my notebook, but it was essentially between 200 and 300 million dollars per year in lost economic um, revenue or just overall economic impact for the county of Santa Barbara, for the entire county. Uh, it really is an economic development issue as well as a social justice and right thing to do issue. And I look forward to our council continuing to work towards addressing it. Thank you. Well, I'm just going to report really quickly that um, last Friday um, I was invited to attend the U.S. Conference of Mayors um, conference at the Bacara. And it was all day um, Thursday, Friday, or no, excuse me. Well, it started Thursday night and it's Friday, Saturday. And I just have to, and they invited me to come and um, I have to say it's, a, it's an incredible group of um, mayors from all over the United States kind of coming together with a lot of similar challenges and putting their heads together to have a voice in making things change. So um, I was really glad I went and I learned a lot and at some point when we have more time I can go over some of the ideas that came up that I was madly jotting down that others have done for their city. Um, so, um, and childcare did come up, and so a lot of a lot of the similar issues, so and challenges. So I'm really glad I went. It it was fun. It was nice. Yeah. So, um, city manager, you already gave your report. City attorney, Ms. Garibaldi, do you have anything to report? No report, Madam Mayor. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, then this meeting is adjourned. Thank you.